BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, we got some good news. I guess some encouraging news on uh, the front that everybody was interested come Monday night. DeMar Hamlin showing some signs of improvement, according to the Buffalo Bills. He remains hospitalized in critical condition. Uh, the Bills said today in a statement that he's expected to remain in the ICU as his health care team continues to monitor and treat him. Hamlet is sedated. Two days since he went into cardiac arrest on the field in the Bills game against the Bengals. But according to one of his uh, friends and business partners, Jordan Rooney, Jordan Rooney saying that doctors saw some promising readings from him overnight. We also know that it, he his position in the ICU has been changed, like his body position. They flipped him over, apparently, uh, to help him breathe a little easier. They're trying to get him to breathe on his own, which is which is good. And I'm not going to stop talking about DeMar Hamlin until we know DeMar Hamlin's okay. How about that? Uh, I start today's show by talking about that, and then I want to pivot into Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp. Skip Bayless made some news on Monday night. And full disclosure, I worked with Skip Bayless. We were co-workers at the San Jose Mercury News. This was a couple of stops ago for me and for him as well. Um, and I sat with him at a lot of games. We sat uh, during that NFL season. I was covering the NFL and Major League Baseball for the Mercury News. He was a general columnist for the Mercury News. And I got a chance to sit next to Skip. And I really had no problems with Skip Bayless. But I found that the Skip Bayless that I knew as a co-worker was very different than the Skip Bayless who you see on television. In, 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 in much the same way that Dick Vitale, the college basketball broadcaster and analyst, is a different person when he's not on camera. Like I walked up to Dick Vitale one time during a uh, NCAA tournament. Uh, we were both in kind of the media hospitality area. It was between games. I think it was probably a Final Four. And Dick Vitale is uh, waiting to get a soda. He, he's got a cup in his hand. He's going to get some ice. He's going to get a soda. And I happen to be right behind Dick Vitale. And I thought for a second, like, Dick Vitale was going to turn around to me and be like, you know, it's going to be a diaper dandy, baby. I'm going to get some ice cubes in here. We're going to get this thing going. Like, I expected that, Dick Vitale. And instead, I got a very subdued, normal human being who just turned to me and said, big game coming up, huh? And I was like, I didn't know what to say. Because I was like, oh, that on-air stuff, it's a little bit of an act. And I can tell you with Skip Bayless, the Skip Bayless that I see on Undisputed and I have seen over the years on ESPN and FS1, is a very different person than the person I sat with on Press Row, who ate sushi and drank a soda and talked to you about you know, a marathon or a half marathon that he was planning on running. and Just a different guy. And I was under no illusion, too, by the way, is, you know, we were both print writers at the time. I was covering the NFL as an NFL columnist at the Mercury News and Major League Baseball as well. And he was just the general columnist. But we were both on deadline. We had the same deadline. And often I found myself looking around going, where's Skip? Where is he right now? And then looking down on the field, and there was Skip Bayless down on the field doing a TV interview. And I was like, how is he going to file his column in time? 
Well, he didn't, because the TV was the priority for Skip Bayless. Same goes for Stephen A. Smith. You hear Stephen A. Smith all the time talking, uh, you know, and doing the uh, routine and the act that Stephen A. Smith does when he is on uh, television. And uh, I see a very different Stephen A. Smith over the years as he, uh, you know, has ridden on buses or been in media settings where you just have a conversation with him. He's different. He's not the Stephen A. Smith who goes off on Russell Wilson or the Lakers or, you know. Let me be very, very clear. I'm, I've always been a fan of Russell uh, Wilson. Um, not this year. He's looked bad. They've got the worst offense in the National Football League in terms of points scored. He's only completing 58% of his passes. He looks like a shell of himself. I can't look at a Sutton, a Jerry Judy, and all of a sudden believe that these brothers can't get it done. For years, we've been lamenting they haven't had a quarterback. Well, Stephen A. Smith, different, different in person than he is on air. That was one of the greatest ass whippings I've ever seen. I mean, like that guy is not the guy that I sat on the bus with during the 2008 Olympics and traveled, uh, you know, to go watch the Redeem team play basketball. It was a very different character. And uh, and it surprised me just a little bit. Maybe it shouldn't. But so what I'm saying is the act that Skip, Skip Bayless has given you on television is designed to do one thing and one thing only. It's designed to you know, generate your eyeballs and your attention in his direction. And the same can be said of what he's doing on social media. And on Monday night, as we saw DeMar Hamlin have that, uh, you know, terrible injury, really scary moment, uh, really bad moment, I thought, uh, you know, for, for the NFL in general, um, Skip Bayless tweeted something that kind of made me cringe. But as I read it carefully, I went, what is he trying to do here? Is he trying to incite people or is he trying to do something else and he tweeted multiple times that night three times off that game his first tweet was not exactly sure what happened to demar hamlin players on both teams are shaken amulets on the field cpr administered can't remember play being stopped for this length of time just said a prayer for him and his family nobody had a problem with that tweet nobody had a problem second tweet from skip bayless that night I've seen so many horrific injuries suffered on football fields, yet never have I seen reaction like this. In every other situation I witnessed or covered, the game always went on fairly quickly. The attitude was, hey, that's football. For these players, this was different. Different in all caps. A few minutes later, Skip Bayless. No doubt the NFL is considering postponing the rest of this game, but how? This late in the season, a game of this magnitude is crucial to the regular season outcome. Dot, dot, dot which suddenly seems so irrelevant. That tweet got 164 million people engaged. A lot of people, 107,000 comments, 82,000 retweets, and it accomplished exactly what Skip Bayless aims to do, which is to get people talking about Skip Bayless. Now, I don't really have a problem with the tweet if you read it and you break it apart because he's really just saying the NFL is considering postponing the game, how would they do that this late in the season? This game is critical. And then he adds, which suddenly seems so irrelevant. And that really is what gets him off the hook. And he showed up to work, of course, on Tuesday to do his undisputed show on FS1. And there was no Shannon Sharp, and people noted it. Now, Shannon Sharp's fed up with Skip Bayless. And I think this is a cumulative effect of 
you know, Skip Bayless, working with Skip Bayless for so many years, and I think Shannon's just kind of over it, and I think you're going to hear that channeled in the remarks that he's about to give. The problem with this is I think Skip Bayless struggles when somebody else has got the platform, and Shannon Sharp is about to take the platform and stand on the stage alone and explain why he didn't show up for work on Tuesday, why he didn't want to work alongside Skip Bayless, and Skip couldn't handle it. Listen to what happened. It's good to see you, Shannon. I understand. Is something you want to share this morning? Good morning, yes. Good morning. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation of why I wasn't on air yesterday, and I won't get into speculation or conjecture or innuendo, but I will say this. In watching that game on Monday night, uh, what happened to DeMar Hamlin struck me a little different. Um, as a brotherhood in the NFL, when injuries happen, when we know injuries are a part of the game, I've seen guys suffer ACLs and Achilles tear. But I've never seen anybody have to be revived and fight for their life on the field. So it struck me a little differently because I remember seeing my brother paralyzed on the field temporarily, and he was able to regain focus. Um, Skip tweeted something, and although I disagree with the tweet, uh, and, and uh, hopefully uh, Skip would take it down, but I didn't want it. Well, time out. Time out. I'm not going to take it down because okay. I stand by oh. what I tweeted. Skip, let me okay. finish. Let me, All right. Okay. Go ahead. No, you go. Go ahead. Let's go, Jen. Okay. I mean, I cannot even get through a monologue without you interrupting okay. me. Well, you could have came back, Skip. Well, I thought, Skip, just let me. I, I didn't I, know I, you were going to bring no, up. No, this. I was just going to say, Skip, I didn't want to yesterday to get into a situation where DeMar Hamlin was the issue. We should have been talking about him and not get into okay. your not get into your uh, your tweet. That's what I was going to do. But you can't even let me finish my opening monologue without you interrupting. Okay. I was under the impression you weren't going to bring this up because nobody here had a problem with no, that tweet. No. Clearly, the bosses wanted you to offer explanations, so clearly somebody... No, they did not have... Nobody... Let's go, Jen. Thoughts and prayers remain with DeMar Hamlin. That's where the focus should have been, and continues. not on the football game. Yes, let's go, Jen. Thank you. All right, there's Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless. I want to know where you stand on that. I want to know what you make of that. Um, you know, do you have a problem with what Skip Bayless tweeted in the first place? Because I really don't. But I think the bigger issue is... Where, that people in general have a problem. I think they're just a little fed up with the act, with the routine. And I think what Shannon Sharp is channeling there is a co-host who is obviously frustrated that he can't go 55 seconds without being interrupted by Skip Bayless, who feels the need to kind of defend himself, and he's, and he's being very defensive there. I think it would have been a nice moment to let, let – Shannon Sharp have the platform. Let him explain why he didn't show up for work. And I think what he was trying to say is that he didn't want the focus of the Tuesday show to be Skip Bayless and his tweet. He's tired of that. He's fed up with that. He wanted the focus of Tuesday's show to be DeMar Hamlin in the injury that was suffered that was scary and NFL players uh, are talking about and thinking about. Um, and I think really in that moment, it's incumbent upon, I think, the producers of FS1 and management at FS1 to tell Skip, stand down. Let Shannon have a moment to explain himself. But what we're really seeing there is, you know, these are two guys that have fought over airtime, who have had dissenting viewpoints over the years. And I think Shannon knows, as many coworkers of Skip Bayless know, that Skip can be really difficult to work with. Now, and I said it before, I'll say it again, I think Skip is a good person. He's a different person off air than on air. And I think a lot of broadcasters are a different person on air than off air. I think you've seen like very, you know, I think really what makes Dan Patrick successful is that Dan Patrick, I think, is the same person off air that he is on air. 
And I think Colin Coward has the same sort of gift that he is, you know, it's the same guy that you're talking with in an airport as you're walking, as you hear on FS1. But I tell you, I think Skip is different. I think Stephen A. Smith is different. I think Dick Vitale is different. I think you get a lot of, you know, are you ready to rumble? Michael Buffer is different. He's not walking around his living room doing that. But I think some of us has to accept that. But did you have a problem with what Skip Bayless tweeted? Or did you have a bigger problem with what went down today on the show? Because for me, I had a bigger problem with what went down. Because I wanted to hear from Shannon Sharp. And I wanted Skip Bayless to, you know, you know, Shannon gave him all Tuesday all by himself to talk about the tweet and what it, you know, what he was thinking and dissect it. Because I think if you look at, you know, Skip Bayless's tweet, people are saying it's insensitive. I don't think it is. I think he's just sort of surmising that the NFL is in a tough position. Like, what do they do here? And, oh, by the way, this is irrelevant now. But the problem is he's got no credibility built up. He has, uh, you know, there's no stock that, that the public has in him that will give him that pass and that birth. And I think there is a vocal minority out there, particularly on Twitter, that seems to have a problem or maybe overreacts to things because maybe they just don't like Skip Bayless. And, and that's okay. If you don't like Skip Bayless, you don't, have to, you don't have to listen to him. You don't have to read him. You don't have to tweet at him. You don't have to do, you know, do all those things that people do. But the fact that you had you know, a couple of hundred million people who tuned in and to his tweet and engaged with his tweet is telling to me. And also, if you look at Skip Bayless's Twitter account, you might note, you know, he's got 3.2 million people following him. He does not follow anyone, at least with his primary account. And I can tell you that's all part of the shtick. What he's saying and what he's channeling to people is, hey, what I have to say is important and what you have to say isn't important. And I think Shannon Sharp has had a little too much of that. 503-417-7575, you weigh in, you tell me. Coming up. We're going to talk about Dana White. Why is that story blowing over? And Kayvon Thibodeau, was he out of line over the weekend in his NFL game? He's now got a spat with the Colts coach. We'll talk about KT coming up. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I'm going to talk a little bit about Dana White, a little bit about Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, Skip Bayless, some final thoughts on that. Look, Larry on Twitter asks, are not are folks in entertainment not trying to increase viewership, print, subscription, followers? Like, is everybody, you know, of course, everybody's trying to gain viewers, listeners, followers. But how you do that matters to me. You can use tricks and sticks. You can use the best content. I happen to think this radio show's got the best content. We get the best guests. Uh, we have the most informed opinions. We have the best callers. Our listeners are better looking and smarter uh, because of all that. And in the end, it's the same thing I try to do at johnconzano.com. Like, I'm going to give people the real stuff. I get people all the time who reach out to me. They email me, they message me, or they, they post in the comment section at johnconzano.com, and they go, hey, um, you know, it, I heard this in the, you know, in this other media entity says that oh the Pac-12 is doomed, it's blowing up. And the, you know, what do you know about that? And I'm going, look, here's what I know. Here's who I talk with. I'm talking with presidents. I'm talking with people in the Pac-12 office. I'm talking with athletic directors. Here's what I know. It's sourced. It's in depth. You can't get it anywhere else. Uh, I'm only going to report what I know to be true. I'm not going to fear monger and try to get subscriptions and people reading. 
some of those, uh, you know, there was in particular a fanboy website in Arizona, University of Arizona fan website. There was a guy on uh, who was running one of those sites who was in, engaging in all of that. Oh, Arizona and Colorado, Utah are leaving the Pac-12 imminently, all this stuff. And I'm like, no. I reported, no, that's not at all what I'm hearing. It's not what the people inside the Pac-12 are hearing unless everybody in in positions of authority is lying to me. Uh, that's not happening. And here we are months and months later, and those schools haven't left. And, look, I'm telling you, if you want to know what's going on, you come to the show or you read me. I'll tell you what's going on. But Larry makes a good point. Like, it is entertainment what Skip Bayless is doing and Shannon Sharp are doing. And it's entertainment what uh, Stephen A. Smith and Dick Vitale are doing. But I do think it matters uh, in the end. You know, I don't mind sort of the uh, arm waving and the voice raising and, you know, the, the energy around it. I don't mind that as long as you are sourced and as long as you are coming from a place that, you know, is knowledgeable and it's not just all a trick and a shtick. And I can tell you that there were a lot of NFL players at the time when I covered the NFL and Skip Bayless was in – and a co-worker, they were frustrated because he had never talked with them, he had never interviewed them, and he would just sit in the, in the press box and criticize them. And I asked Skip about it, and he said, I don't want to get to know the players because I don't want to form personal relationships with them. But I, different from that, I actually do want to know the players. I want to have professional relationships with the players and the coaches and the people I cover. But I also want to be able to criticize them in a way where – they feel like if I, if I unfairly criticize them, they can call me, they can text me, they can talk to me, they can come on this show and argue with me and debate it. But I think it matters how you get the viewership, how you get the eyeballs, how you get the subscriptions. Uh, Stephen, Peter, Skip Bayless, Stephen A. Smith, what happened this week? Put, it, put, put a bow on this for me. Yeah, so I had to. Uh, so I've blocked Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless on Twitter. So I had to actually unblock him for or Skip Bayless and to view what he actually tweeted out because I, I I just can't stand the guy. And I agree with Larry. Like he just he's doing it all for clicks and for views. And you mentioned the zero followers, how he follows zero people. That really drives me nuts. Jay Billis does the same thing. Um, I want to hear what people's opinions are. So I had to read it. I like you. I didn't have too much of a problem with what he tweeted out because. I think that it was a fair it was a fair question to ask like what is the NFL going to do? That's what everyone's been asking the last couple of days now. Scott Van Pelt, we talked about how he did such a good job. He asked that same question on his show. Like what is the NFL going to do now? And so, you know, was it a little bad place, bad timing? Yeah, it was. It does seem a little tone deaf that he just did it right there on the spot when we're all just thinking about the health of uh, DeMar Hamlin. So, I you know, I didn't necessarily have a problem with that tweet, but I do have a problem with him and I think that today uh, you know, with the Shannon Sharp, Skip Bayless situation, it does seem like for me that a lot of it is set up to to put it out there because now we're talking about it. I've seen it all over Twitter today that, oh, man, check out this heated exchange between the two. They're getting exactly what they want, and that's a lot of views, a lot of people checking it out. So I think it is so on brand for Skip Bayless to do this just to try to get as many views as he possibly can. And, you know, like you, it's like, you know, you, you want to be as real as you can. And that's what I started in this business. Like, that's what I told myself is I'm going to be myself and I'm going to be as honest as I can with everybody and the listeners. Like, that's what they want. And so I feel like Skip Bayless, Stephen Smith, they aren't who they are, you know, who they who they portray on TV. And so that does bother me. So um, I'm definitely not a Skip Bayless fan. I don't like him. I don't necessarily have a problem with what he tweeted out. But, you know. In all else, uh, I'm going to say he's wrong because I just don't really like him. Uh, to me, this came down to, the, you know, how much currency does he have with the public? And I don't think he has very much. 
So I think people, in spite of the fact that it was his third tweet and the two prior tweets were very empathetic towards DeMar Hamlin, and then he added the, hey, none of that's relevant now, I do think Skip was trying to push the envelope there and see how far he could go. I think he was kind of towing the line, pushing the line, going, okay, nobody's saying this. I'm going to be the one to say it. And then he came out and said it. And, and, and look, I don't have a problem with what he said. In fact, I don't have a problem with anybody who makes a mistake. Like, if you make a mistake, and let's just say, you know, you tweet something, and later you go, ah, you know what, I, I'd like to take that one back. Um, you ought to have some currency with and some trust with your audience in, in that they go, hey, I know that he's got a good heart. He comes from a good place. But with Skip, I don't think people do that. I don't think they're tuned in because they go, oh, he's a good guy. He's got a good heart. I think they're tuned in because they want to see how outrageous he's going to be. Peter Sampson. Yeah. Put a bow on it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all a shtick. I ignore it in a vacuum. I have no problem with the tweet. But, you know, if you uh, make your career starting fires, eventually one's going to get out of control. The whole act is tired. I, I've been tired of Skip Bayless. Let's ask Troy A. Aikman, how he feels about Skip Bayless. I've been done with him since 1996. I mean, maybe he's a great guy. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, that's when I looked at the ethics and just went, nope, not for me. But you can't be, or he can't be stunned if he's constantly trying to, you know, just, uh, you know, put down play repeatedly and cause drama. Then eventually something gets out of control. You go, well, this was innocuous. This is what I meant. And I believe him. But, like, that's your whole deal, man. The reason he has 3.2 million followers or whatever it is the reason he makes so much money it's a it's a good shtick to just get everyone to repop and reshare on social media look at this idiot i can't believe that he makes this and i know more about sports than he does while well, he's laughing at the bank but of course this is going to happen it's no surprise i was just i was frustrated because i thought it was going to be a nice moment because i wanted to hear i think shannon sharp is got you know he can be outrageous too in this in entertainment business but I respect Shannon Sharp because he's played the game and he's done it at a high level. And I also think he's got some viewpoints that I'm interested in. Like, I want to know what he thinks of it. And so I was bracing for this great moment, but Skip wouldn't let him have it. And that frustrated me. And I think if I'm FS1, I, I would have been frustrated with that as well. Let's go to phone lines. Rick's in Eugene listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Rick, go ahead. Hey, John, how's it going? Uh, couple quick things. I think you're talking about uh, Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless. I never liked anything Stephen A. Smith had to say. I didn't see what he said. But the Skip Bayless thing, like, I read that tweet or what people were saying and, oh, he should be fired. Like, what he said, I didn't, I don't understand how people got that so misconstrued. It looked like he was saying, hey, it's the end of the season. How is this going to work? It's so close right. to the playoffs. And then he, he said it, so it, it seems irrelevant now. I don't. I don't see how that was out of line. Unless I missed another tweet, um, I just don't get it. Yeah, and, and look, and I think there were a lot of things that were going on on Monday night that were new, okay? And I don't think that, uh, you know, Skip Bayless was alone in wondering what the NFL was going to do. When he put it down in a tweet and he tweeted it, even though when you look at the context of the tweet, if it came from anyone else, I don't think it would have been a big story. I think if... Um, Dan Patrick had tweeted the same thing, I don't think people would have jumped all over him. I think it has to do with the fact that people just have sort of had it with Skip and they're looking for anything where they can go, huh, and they don't give him the benefit of the doubt. And so they go, oh, you're coming from a bad place there. Look, I'll give you an example. On Monday night, when DeMar Hamlin got hurt, I I immediately saw the video of it on Twitter and I retweeted the video with prayer hands because I thought he had a concussion. And he was down. And then I saw the ambulance. 
And then I heard CPR, and I went, oh, that's poor form. I better, I better delete the tweet. And so I deleted that tweet uh, more out of respect for DeMar Hamill and not anybody who was tweeting at me. But a couple of people in the last couple of days have been like, oh, it was tasteless for you to retweet that. Yeah, if we all knew that he was having a heart attack and a heart failure on the field and that he was going to need CPR, yeah, he probably shouldn't be retweeting that. But in the moment on Monday night, when DeMar Hamlin first staggered backwards, my thought was, okay, good, he's not paralyzed because he got up. And I thought, okay, you know, it doesn't look like he's got a spinal cord injury. It's probably a concussion. I didn't think heart. And then afterwards I went, oh, I better get that down. I don't feel right about having that out there. Uh, but I'm a but I'm a person, you know. I'm not trying to do this as a shtick. I'm not trying to I'm not interested in gaining a follower by tweeting that or or deleting the tweet. I'm just interested in like, you know, being a journalist and showing you what happened. I thought our discussion was going to be about a head injury and a brain injury and instead we're now watching a guy fighting for his life in the in, in the ICU. Coming up, we'll talk Dana White, we'll talk Kayvon Thibodeau. Was he out of line? performed a snow angel after a sack on Sunday, still being talked about today. He's now in a spat with the Colts over it. And KT says he's paid to make quarterbacks uncomfortable and to be savage. He doesn't care what uh, Jeff Saturday and the Colts think about his snow angel. If Kayvon Thibodeau wasn't a former Oregon Duck, how would you view this? You know him a little bit, but not a lot. Leave it here. We'll talk about it. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Kayvon Thibodeau uh, ramping up for the New York Giants, but uh, also causing some problems uh, or some some controversy off the field today he had some harsh words for Jeff Saturday uh, Jeff Saturday is the Colts interim coach and Kayvon Thibodeau had a problem with his celebration at MetLife Stadium on Sunday Kayvon Thibodeau got a sack you probably saw it the celebration uh, was a snow angel on the field and it came right next to an injured Nick Foles who was carted into the locker room and did not return to the game uh, Thibodeau also gestured he did the uh i'm putting you to sleep gesture that steph curry uh sometimes does and he did that on his own sideline now jeff saturday the interim coach of the colts called thibodeau's celebration trash and tasteless uh thibodeau was asked about this and he fired back uh basically saying that he doesn't know who jeff saturday is who that's what i'm saying who's the gatekeeper of when to do something so once we figure out who the gatekeeper is, then we can write the rules and then we can establish, you know, the narratives and things like that. But until, you know, you guys actually are in the sport and do it and be in that moment, you can't create a narrative on it, you know? Well, we're not creating a narrative on it. The guy, the other team's coach had a problem and he's the guy who played the game. The That's other team's saying. players I don't, I don't had know a who problem he is. No, I just don't know who, like, anybody who commented on it, unless I know who they are, doesn't really affect me. That's it. Kayvon Thibodeau uh, might want to know that Jeff Saturday went to six Pro Bowls, uh, six more Pro Bowls than Kayvon Thibodeau's attended. But the number five pick in the draft said, you know, he, he went on to say he's not trying to hurt anybody, uh, but the Giants brought him in to be savage. He said when you play a game and you're high emotion, high adrenaline, um, you know, that's what I'm here to do. 
Is Kayvon Thibodeau out of line, guys? Let's go around the room. Steven, is he out of line? Um, I'm going to go with no. I don't think he's out of line. Um, I think that's just that's the type of personality he has, right? Like he has a chip on his shoulder and he always has and you know, he's going to say he's going to say things to motivate himself. I don't think I've watched the play. I've watched the replay. I don't think he knew that Nick Foles was hurt when he made the celebration. I think he was just excited he got the sack and he celebrated right there on the spot. And I think it was sort of funny that he came back at Jeff Saturday this way, but you know, he obviously knows who Jeff Saturday is, I would guess. I would guess he knows who the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts is. I don't know if he knows how good he was at football, but at the same time, I think you know it's one of those things where he's gotten to this level by having this personality, so I don't think he's out of line. I don't think he said anything that was necessarily wrong. Yeah, I, I, I think he realizes that it wasn't a great look, and I don't think he's out of line, but anytime anyone drops the rhetorical, well, who decides that, really? Uh, anytime I've ever experienced that with someone, you know that they know they're in the wrong. But ultimately, like, what are you going to do? Say, like, no, I'm not going to celebrate this, the, the sack, you know? Or, I'm out here to hit this guy. I, I wish he wasn't hurt. I'm not trying to injure him, but it was a big play, and I'm going to celebrate it. I didn't like that Thibodeau said that he shouldn't be criticized by anybody who's not actually in the sport. You know, and he says, you know, unless I know who they are, it doesn't affect me. So what he's saying is, you know, anybody in his circle that gives him criticism is okay. But anybody outside of his circle, I'm not going to listen to that. I think that's pretty insular, I mean, by definition. And I think he's out of line there. I think I think the better response today from Thibodeau would have been just to say, hey, look, um, I would never celebrate next to somebody who I would, knew was injured. I didn't know the guy was injured. I sacked him. I was happy about it. I I celebrated. Um, I can't unwind that. That would have been, I think, a more candid uh, and, I guess, more acceptable comment. But don't, in, in, don't, oh, sorry, we interrupted you. Yeah, there. go ahead. Uh, no. But don't you want your, your athletes and your team to have the personality of, we're not going to listen to the outside noise. We're going to worry about what our team says, and my team accepts me. They wanted me to you know, celebrate that sack. I don't care what anyone else says. I care about my team. I felt like that's the way I took it. Yeah, that's fine, but, it, but like, is he okay? You know, is he okay celebrate? Is he okay if somebody does that to, to his team? If, you know, if the starting quarterback of the Giants or the start, whatever team he's playing for later in his career um, gets, gets you know, hurt and has to be carted off and somebody's doing a snow angel next to him, I mean, it just, it looks Bush League. Like, it looks like, you know, you've never had a sack before and, you, you know, you don't know what you're doing out on the field. And so I, I just say, like, look, you don't need to live your life by everybody else's standards. That's not what I'm saying. But I think you have to have some awareness. And the fact is that Nick Foles got hurt on the play. And Kayvon Thibodeau's over on his sideline doing the, you know, I'm putting you to sleep sign. Like, how, you know, I don't know how the Colts are not supposed to be offended by that and think that's tasteless. So I would have rather had him, you know, I, I kind of feel like it, it, it's the same conversation that we had about Skip Bayless. I think Kayvon Thibodeau is trying to channel, uh, you know, hey, I'm, I'm savage, but we all know from his time at Oregon, I mean, was he savage or is he just a great athlete playing that position who can disrupt quarterbacks and I, when he was healthy? And I and I think you know there were questions about his motor that wasn't savage. There were questions, you know. So I think when you look at Kayvon Thibodeau, I think he's acting a little bit and he's channeling a you know Lawrence Taylor maybe a little bit in, in the same way that Skip Bayless is acting. So I just I have an issue when when people go, well if you didn't play the sport, you aren't qualified to have an opinion. Like really, you can't go into a restaurant if you've never been a chef and go, you know what that dinner wasn't very good. Like you know we all get it. Everybody gets a right to have an opinion and. And Kayvon Thibodeau doesn't need to care what Jeff Saturday said, 
about this, but I think down deep you might be right that he's got to know, like, hey, next time I go to perform a sack, maybe I shouldn't be doing a snow angel next to a guy who's got to get carted off. Or as he's getting carted off and, you know, maybe take a look back and go, oh, it, you know, it looks like Nick Foles is hurt. Because on one hand we're talking all week about the, you know, the, that, that athletes, is particularly football players, uh, are in this DeMar Hamlin thing together, right? So, you know, I think if you ask Kayvon Thibodeau about DeMar Hamlin, he's going to say, hey, it's a brotherhood. Hey, we're all football players. Hey, we're all people, and that transcends football. Uh, but you're asking about Nick Foles, and it's, no, I'm savage. I'm here to I'm here to get to the quarterback, and, you know, good night, Nick Foles. Am I out of line here for thinking that? No, I think you're making great points here. Um, I think it's just a different situation. I It's one of those things where – you know, I even think on Monday night, if we didn't know that DeMar Hamlin was hurt, there could have been a celebration on that play, too, because yeah. you just don't know he's hurt because he got up and he walked like he took a step. So I, I I, think just watching the play, I don't think Thibodeau knew that Foles is hurt. When he goes over to the sideline, does the sleep gesture, yeah, that's a little out of line. And I'm not I'm not saying I, I think Thibodeau's in the right here 100%, but I do like the attitude that he has of you know me against the world trying to play that up because, like you said, there are questions about him, you know, on the field, about his motor, about his, you know, is he just an athlete or is he actual football player? And I do think he's also wrong that if you didn't play the sport, you can't criticize people. I only played basketball, but you know what? I think like, I can criticize people because I've watched enough sports. I've done enough research. I talk to people that, like, you can criticize people for what they do. So I don't think he's 100% right. I do like his attitude of saying, you know what? I don't care what anyone else says. I'm going to worry about my team. I'm worried about myself. I love that from him. But there's definitely some things he needs to show the you know a growth in maturity. I think it was a lack of maturity he had in this situation right here, and and being him being in New York, I think is a big big deal with it as well because they're going to be all yeah. over that situation. And by the way, Kevon Thibodeau is tied for 89th in the NFL among sack leaders. Yeah, you know, and he's asking who is he with with Jeff Saturday, who's yeah, been like, to six yeah. Pro Bowls. Yeah, it's a little early, a little early to be calling people out of uh, who are they. Yeah. You, do you know who I am? Do, you know, I don't know who that guy is, but I'm 89th. I'm tied for 89th in sacks this season. But um, look, look, imagine if we all applied that. Whatever job you do, apply that same logic. Hey, if somebody's never done your job, they're not qualified to have an opinion about how you do it. Like, you are free to tell me when I suck and when I'm good as a listener. Like, I may push back. I may not agree with you, but you're free to have an opinion about what I'm doing on the show. If your mail, your postal worker who works the route in your neighborhood starts putting your mail in other people's mailboxes, you're free to have an opinion about it. I don't care if you've ever been a postal worker. So, you know, I, you know the, the whole idea, like, this isn't brain surgery. You know, we're not sitting here looking over the shoulder of a neurosurgeon going, ah, I don't know if you're doing this right. We're watching football. And we're watching a guy who performed a snow angel on the field. It's not what I would want from, you know, players that were on my favorite teams growing up. But I get the excitement. You're free to celebrate a sack, KT. That's good. You got four this year. You know, celebrate them. They don't come that often. But at the same time, maybe take a peek down at, you know, especially in a week where DeMar Hamlin is, you know, in a hospital and he is in an induced coma and he's fighting for his life, and players in the NFL are saying, hey, this is a brotherhood, we're all in this together. Did that not apply to Nick Foles, who was laying on the ground beside you as you are performing a snow angel? Just ask yourself that. Coming up, our big splash. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
Super excited. Uh, our guest coming up at 4 o'clock, John Strong, the voice of American soccer. Fox Sports, fresh off the World Cup. He's going to be joining us to talk about what that experience was like, plus a whole bunch of other things. He got his start, people may remember, longtime listeners, on this radio show. I'm sure he had uh, other aspirations, but he got it. He got his real broadcast start on this radio program. The voice of American soccer, John Strong, coming up. Uh, he will be joining us uh, at 4 o'clock. I'm going to keep him for a while, guys, because I want to get uh, you know, a full John Strong experience. Like, I wanted him to talk about what it was like to be overseas, calling the World Cup, what he saw, all of that stuff, um, you know, uh, and questions about, you know, we're going to talk about a variety of different things, not just soccer, but broadcasting in general, the industry, maybe get an idea. Uh, as we saw uh, DeMar Hamlin on Monday Night Football go down with an injury, Get an idea from a broadcaster what that is like to be in a situation like that where you are calling a game and all of a sudden you're not really talking about, you know, what happened in the game. You're talking about, you know, uh, it, it, a news story that breaks out amid a sporting event. So John Strong coming up, Voice of American Soccer, will be with us. Uh, that is going to be top of the hour, 4 o'clock. John Strong will be with us. Steven, so, who you know, here's here's how it goes. Like, you're sitting in that seat now, but, you know, it's just this is just evidence that you could be calling a World Cup final yeah, in no, short order. No pressure on me, right? I mean, I heard you, know? you, uh, you know, when I first started, you were talking about that, how John, you know, was going to do the World Cup. And you said when you first heard him, you heard Bob Costas, I believe that's what your quote was. Yeah, immediately. Uh, what, what does that mean for me? What did you hear when you thought of my voice first? You know what? Uh, I, think you, I think you're good. That's Thank why you. you're, still, you. you're still here. Hey. That, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take that. That's why you're here. But I think uh, <laughs> I think that um, as you look at you know his career trajectory, I mean, there's something to be learned. I think a lot of people, whether whether you're you want to be a broadcaster someday or whether you're you're somebody in another industry, um, I think that you can learn from people who have uh, navigated their career path and found their way. So I'll be curious to see what his big uh, you know, breaks were, what advice he would give to people, but also we'll just talk about broadcasting and play-by-play -play in general, how it has shifted over years and and changed a little bit, because I think it has. But John Strong coming up. Peter, you, you were around when Strong was around, so, you know, you remember, um, you know, having him here and, and seeing him in action. And, you know, do you have any questions? Like, what, what should I be asking Strong about? Man, that's a great question. <sighs> I'm personally curious. I mean, when you're on the big stage, I'm interested in the production meetings, like what mm -hmm. really goes into that high level research. Like I kind of understand. And I think everybody's got their own process when you're uh, researching, whether it's a game, a guest, a topic. But I'm curious what goes into it. How many more you know, fingers are in the pie, so to speak, when it's that high level international broadcast? I'd love to hear about that. All right. So we'll uh, we'll ask him all of that stuff and more coming up. Uh, top of the hour. I want to talk a little bit about Dana White. Uh, we mentioned this on yesterday's show that Dana White was in uh, a little bit of trouble because he had um, been filmed and TMZ put it out that you know there was an incident with he and his wife at a nightclub in which uh, Dana White, uh, you know, essentially slaps his wife, or she slapped him first and then he slapped back. If uh, if you want to make that distinction. But I also think um, 
there's an interesting tangent on this story because ESPN is in a business relationship with, with UFC. And we all know that if you get in a altercation with your spouse and you are the president of uh, a sports league, that you probably are not long for being president of that sports league. You can't be an owner of uh, a MLS franchise. You can't be an owner of an NBA franchise. You can't be, uh, you know, the commissioner of the NFL and have that kind of moment. Now, both Dana White and his wife Anne are calling it uh, an isolated incident. I don't know if you believe that, but she slaps him in the video. He slaps her back. And then I believe he slaps her subsequently a third time, uh, you know, a third slap. But it's been suggested that he should punish himself. And I think that's why, you know, people are saying that he should punish himself because there's just no accountability. There's no oversight for the UFC. It's unregulated. And I'm curious to see how this unfolds. We've had Dana White on the show. Like, and I'm curious to see, like, how this unfolds when you get, the guy who is in charge and owns the UFC, um, and you know, it, it, or at least a part of it, um, you know, he, this is the same guy eight years ago who said domestic violence would end your career in the UFC. There's no place for it, he said. So how do you rectify that if you are UFC? And by the way, how do you rectify that if you're Dana White? Like, wh- what should happen here? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, there's got to be some type of punishment for himself because the video was not a good look for him, right? I mean, I understand that she hit him first, but still, there's no excuse for doing that. Like, you cannot be hitting women, um, at least in my mind. So, and you know, have him. You know, he said that, like you said, domestic violence will end your career. Well, that's exactly what this was. It was domestic violence. So, at the minimum, there's got to be some type of punishment. Um, and I also thought it was interesting, John. Did you see Stephen A. Smith? talking about, you know, talking about Skip Bayless and Stephen Smith, he talked about Dana White, and he basically was apologizing for him because they do have that relationship with the UFC. I thought that was very interesting where he's gone all in on other people for a lot less things than hitting your wife. So I don't know, man. I just That, that is one of those things where it's hitting women, hitting kids. Like, I, I cannot get over that kind of stuff. Um, I would – I don't want to necessarily, you know, cancel him. I don't want to say he's got to be gone, but there's got to be some type of punishment because that stuff – uh, in my mind, at least, is uh, there's no excuses for it. Dan Levitard this morning on his show said that he believed that ESPN, you know, if this were anybody else, ESPN would have made this a bigger story. Do you guys believe that ESPN uh, should have, or if this were, you know, Roger Goodell, it's a bigger story, right? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, that stuff absolutely weighs into all of this. And, I mean, it's not like they've ignored it, but they haven't gone hard at all. And even not related to ESPN, I was listening to a different national show this morning that has a great, great relationship with Dana White as well. And it wasn't apologetic. It called him out. But it was a lot more gentle than, say, yeah, if it was Roger Goodell or Manfred or someone like that. I think uh, this is going to be an interesting story to see how this unfolds. But I just keep putting myself in the shoes of people who potentially, you know, would be in this position. Like, I just don't think for a second if, you know, if if Joe Cronin, the Trailblazers GM, had a video like that surface, he would no longer be the GM of the Trailblazers. And part of that is that you've got a certain level of, of, of accountability that exists 
when the NBA is, you know, the umbrella company and Trailblazers Inc. is your direct employer, you've got a certain level of accountability. Now, there may be some accountability for UFC when it comes to sponsors. So I would keep an eye on that because it could potentially cost the uh, the league or the uh, the entity some sponsors. But right now, I, I kind of just think that this may sail along under the radar in a way that, you know, it, it wouldn't for anything else. And I think if you are somebody who follows UFC, may, is it does it have something to do with the sport, guys? Do you think that that sport, because it's violent, is sort of looks at domestic violence differently. I mean, I don't, I don't think the UFC would come out and say that, but I, I wonder if the fans of UFC say, "Oh, look, they were just hitting each other. It's no big deal. That's what this sport is." I don't, I don't want to, you know, stereotype the fans of the UFC. I'm not a fan of the UFC. I think you probably are a little bit right. Um, I do think it's a little unfair to say just because they are in a fighting sport that they kind of take a blind eye to that sort of thing, and they shouldn't, right? Like, you know, Dana White has been against it, so he's got to hold himself accountable, and if the fans don't do that, I, you know, I think that's just nothing wrong with them. His wife uh, and he have been married for almost 30 years. They've known each other since they're 12 years old. John Strong, the voice of American soccer, is coming up. Uh, he will be joining us. He'll be with us in the 4 o'clock hour. We're going to talk about a lot of different things as they relate to soccer and broadcasting. Uh, I'll ask him his opinion of the uh, Timbers and the Thorns and all that stuff that went on, uh, Merritt Paulson, all of that. And, you know, John Strong will bring it. But we'll talk about broadcasting as well. Leave it right here. you got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. I'm in the home studio and I have the great John Strong, the voice of American soccer, who is alongside. He's, did you hear us during the break, Stephen, talking down the line? I didn't, unfortunately, no. Okay. All right. I it, don't was, it wasn't that good. It wasn't. It was pretty good. Yeah. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, John Strong is in the home studio. I'll have you set the scene for people later. So, you know, through I, I have a hard time describing where I am. So it's funny. I've been listening for two and a half years yeah. to you in the home studio. Yeah. And I always had imagined it in my mind as you being upstairs in the rumpus room. Like yeah. I envision, oh. like, all right, kids, turn off Bluey, go downstairs. Dad's got to do the radio show. <laughs> You're out here in the garage. This is like a man cave, but live radio. And I've moved three times. That's what Anna was saying. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it took you that long to figure out that, like, if you're having to shush the kids for three hours a day. It wasn't that. It was originally I had it into uh, what we call the sunroom. We have a sunroom area that has a sofa. I could do the show laying down. Yeah. I, I don't like that. I need to feel like I'm working. I need to feel like it's, it's it can't be that comfortable. Yeah. So then I moved to the bar. Well, for several months. For several reasons. Yeah. yeah. And and it was that's fine. when the show was really good. Was when you were at <laughs> arm's length from the liquor. That was yeah. when the ratings really went up. People liked to come in and see the show when it was in that room. Yeah. Okay. Now I have subsequently. This is Anna. This was originally Anna's TV studio. You can see behind you. There's a green screen, a camera. There's a full board in here, a couple computer monitors. Not using any of that right now. There's a lot um, of equipment that's untouched yeah, in here. This it is, looks yeah. cooler than it is. And, but this room is soundproof, and I like it because no one can hear me. I can't hear them. Like, literally, um, Anna could 
open the garage door, drive the car in. I can't hear it. We were out with the dogs, and my daughter is squealing with the dogs. Yeah. It's chaos, and you clearly had no idea. I had idea. no idea. You and were we don't here. even know. I don't even know where you were until you came out. I, yeah. thought, I didn't know where you were in the house, so it's we, a good setup. You were not the first person I've interviewed in this studio, though. Mike Barrett, former Blazers oh, yeah, broadcaster, sure. yeah. was in the studio. Jim Metzel. Sport Oregon CEO was in the studio, so kind of you know it's a big deal. I appreciate that. Number three, good. <laughs> I brought you a gift, by the way. These are these what are is this? Arabic fig newtons. Oh they are no no no! Date biscuits from Kuwait. Wow. Oh, we need to talk about special this. for you. Is this what you were eating while you were calling the World Cup? Uh, no, I tell you, you, thank I went, you. By the way, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. yeah, no, that was one of. I went to the grocery store at the end of the tournament, and just mm. every interesting looking cookie and yeah. snack I just threw into a big bag. I'm glad you home. were thinking of me when you're yeah. thinking of cookies and snacks. Yeah, exactly. That's when I crossed your mind. Yeah, I just wandered the aisles and. What would JC like? Yeah. What would make him happy? Hey, I have to know, because you were on this show, what year was it, 2007? It's, I find it funny that you rely on me I to tell you, you your yeah. own history. Like, I'll be start? in Qatar, and you're like, when was our first show? I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to write it down. Yeah. What was the first? It was Labor, Labor Day, Day. 2007. 2007. 15 and a half years ago. Okay, so that's how long ago this thing started. You were sitting in the seat that Stephen is in right now. Well, no, but... More or less. It was the old building. Okay, but in that role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were in that role. I'm being pedantic, yes. You were being difficult right now. <laughs> this is why you fired me in 2012. <laughs> so listen, you were in that seat, but your aspirations were to become a big-time soccer broadcaster. And they still are. Okay. <laughs> so here you are. You've now done the World Cup. You are the voice of American soccer. You're the guy on Fox who called the World Cup. A World Cup final. Yeah. You've done it. I, I well, I might drop that, man. You be, you should have walked out on your plane and said I did it. But part of it is people. So like I uh, yesterday was was our daughter's first day back at preschool, and her teacher is a big soccer fan. She's like that game was amazing. I'm like what? Like I don't even. It was too, it's yeah. it's a hazy dream now. Yeah. Um. Honestly, if it all ended tomorrow, I'm good. If that's the last soccer game I ever yeah. called, I mean we. You had. Can I tweet that? John Strong's out. <laughs> he announced it, it his is, retirement. Because as you know, every every sports league and every TV network, they would never admit this, but they all root for certain teams. Look at Super Bowl ratings. Yeah. Look at the finals, NBA Finals ratings. They always spike when big stars or when big markets are in there. So everyone roots for that perfect matchup. So that was one of our ideal scenarios, to have yeah. Messi in Argentina and Mbappe mm -hmm. in France. The game was bonkers. Yep. We had gone into the World Cup hoping – to get 15 million people to watch the U.S. England game, and if we could break the record of of most watched men's insane. soccer That's game, insane amount of people, and we broke the record for U.S. England, and we broke it again for the final. That was never even in the realm of conversation that the final mm. would break the record set by U.S. England. Black Friday, we'd promoted it for months. We had almost 18 million people on average across the two and a half hours. The penalty shootout, the last 15 minutes, there were 25 million Americans <laughs> on a Sunday morning. Now, had I known that at the time, yeah. I would have been terrified. Yeah, you can't think that, like that. That is a horrifying yeah. notion that that many people <laughs> listening to my voice. But that's the thing, and, and so that's where, and I joked all the time with my friends, other people, the instant this tournament is mm. over, I will disappear. I will recede into mm. the mist of my suburban family. I haven't tweeted for two weeks. I'm driving my kids to school. I, you know, I, You're good. I, I become anonymous yeah. again. And that's exactly what I love. I'm so proud of what we did, but nothing gave me more joy than, like, the second day I was home and there's, like, ice and sleet and I'm walking the dogs mm -hmm. and I'm hanging out with the kids on the couch. You're normal. That's, you're a normal that's person, my real though. life. But you're a normal person. And so I often wonder, like, I turned on the TV 
what was it, over the weekend, I texted you, you were doing the dog show. And I was like, he's on the road again? But that was an old dog that show. That was from last summer. So okay. they, they replayed the dog show a couple times. over Because every time the dog show is replayed, I'll get texts. I get texts Christmas <laughs> night. People at, like, uh, the, the head of communications for U.S. Soccer is texting me, like, you're doing the dog show. I'm like, no, I'm not. That was in June, but thank you. <laughs> so, so I love that that stuff gets re-aired. So you get this great, you know, you get this great matchup in the final, but you had a whole bunch of games before that that were all com- – like the tournament was a was a pretty good tournament, right? It was a right? terrific tournament. Yeah. We did um, how many games did we do? I honestly, I'm, I know we did 15 and 17 days at the beginning of the thing. Um, that's, I mean, we were giggling at different times. Okay, here we are again, off to another World Cup soccer game that they're paying us to go to. Yeah. I mean, it was incredible to do it. We did the World Cup in 2018, but the U.S. wasn't there, and so it was amazing. It was a dream, mm. but it wasn't quite the same. And to be able to call a U.S. game at the World Cup. That was, I think, the ultimate final aspiration. Um, to We were in a bubble when you're doing it, but to see the videos yeah. of people watching across the country, how many people watch. Honestly, one of my favorites, there's a video I saw of, it was the U.S.-Iran game, and it was at the student union at the University of Oregon. Hmm. And it's a you know they rebuilt the building, but that's yeah. that's my school. Yeah. Like it wasn't that long ago. My buddy Eric and I were students at Oregon, <laughs> and now we're calling it. And, and he's on my left. He's my stats you know yeah. statistician spotter, and here's kids at Oregon now watching us as they're having lunch in the EMU. That that to me was yeah. actually the coolest because it was just that reminder of when I was a student, when I was a kid with dreams, and to actually be accomplishing them. That that doesn't always happen. And it's something I, I'm I'm very appreciative of. It was for me. It was surreal because I would uh, you know turn it on at home and I hear your voice. Uh, we'd be in a sports bar. I would look up and go, oh, he's calling this game. I was in Vegas and yeah. I was walking through the sports book and I heard your voice and I was like, hey, John Strong, <laughs> voice of American soccer. Like, um, it was really cool to see you in that. Did you? Did you? Uh, you know, because you've been at this a while. Did you feel like it came along at the right time? Meaning that you're good enough. Like, if this had come in, like, year three. Yeah, yeah. No, I know exactly what you know you what mean. You know what I mean? Well, and, and it's absolutely true because the first World Cup that we did, it was the 2015 women. I was the number three announcer, and it was because they knew I wasn't ready. And so they sort of protected me, and they hid me. And I did the, some of the lower-profile games, and it was perfect. And I also know that it was a blessing in disguise the U.S. didn't make the last World Cup because I would not have been mentally ready in 2018. Hmm. I, I got to a really good mental place the weeks before. But I needed. Well, when you say mentally ready, what are you talking about? Nervous, anxiety. Mm. Um, I would in that spring of 2018. It wasn't a panic attack because I know what a panic attack is, but it was like a rush of anxiety I would get at least once a day, and I'd be at the gym and I would just mm. stop and freeze with this rush of anxiety of like, oh my gosh, am I really good enough? Am I prepared? Do I know what I'm doing? So to have had a World Cup under my belt. And to have come out the other side of it, I was in a much better mental place where you can do this. I knew yeah. I had the confidence, but also the the mindset of, I also don't really care. Like, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to enjoy myself. Some people will like it. Some people won't. And that's cool. And I always go back to, and in fact, at one point at the end of the tournament, I was asked a question by Richard Deitch, media reporter for The Athletic. And part of my response was advice you gave me in the first weeks I knew you in 2007. Some people, some of them are going to say, you're great. Some are going to say, you stink. And the truth is always somewhere in between. And that's one of the key pieces of advice I've always kept with me. And just, I'm going to do it as best as I can, and I'm going to soak in and enjoy the experience, and I'm not going to worry about the other stuff. And so that was what was lovely, is I could enjoy 
every single moment of doing it in a wonderful sort of mental place. John Strong, the voice of American soccer, you listened to him during the World Cup, is with me in studio. Um, what was it like to be in that country? And is it Qatar? Is that how we say it? The the As best as I can approximate the Arabic, it's more of a G sound, of Qatar. Okay. And so the people we're working with, Qatari government, the organizing committee, Three years ago, and that was sort of our executive yeah. producer. I kind of was like, just tell us what to call it. And, we'll, yeah. and they said, just say Qatar. Qatar is, is accurate enough. Yeah. Like, that's cool for us. Because the Passable. English would say Qatar. Yeah. That's yeah. not quite right. It sounds more like gutter, but you can't say gutter. So they, that was from people in Qatar saying, just call just it Just call it this. And you're good. That works for us. Works yeah. for tourism. And it's the same as, like, name pronunciations. I'm less interested in being precise yeah. than just we all say the same thing. If, yeah. if we need to have a plan, as long as we all follow the plan, it's fine. It's when people are doing it different ways, that's when we sort of get off the You guys used to put hockey cuts in sports audio, in punch it audio, just to mess with me. Yeah. You and Chris Brown, because yeah. you'd put the worst name in there. Yeah. And then I would just say number 15 for yeah, the Edmonton much. Oilers. We have announcers that do that still. That guy. <laughs> yeah, he, he's done well. Um, you'd be proud of me. Uh, it's DJ Uwanga Lele. Very good. There you go. See? That is one of the, the, the Polynesian names are to college football as a lot of the different nationalities yeah. are to us in soccer, where there's just an extra sort of linguistic thing you've got to figure out. All right, coming up, I want to ask you about um, the the Monday Night Football yep. incident. I was watching. Because you're a broadcaster, and suddenly the broadcast crew shifts from calling a game into it's a news event. So I want to ask you what that's like. I also wanted to ask you, like, when you know not to say anything. Because mm -hmm. I thought you did a really good job of that, of letting some moments breathe. I always laugh when I'm yeah. told, so our, my best work is when I'm not talking. <laughs> okay, understood, gotcha. <laughs> but, it, and then, kind of in, in it, was a, it was a journey, that tournament. Yes. I mean, you had ups, you had downs, you had a, a journalist who we, we all know. We had a know friend and that, professional yeah. colleague pass away Ugh. 20 feet behind us. Yeah, we're going to talk about that coming up. Leave it here. You're listening to John Strong, the voice of American soccer. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I appreciate everybody listening in Eugene on Fox Sports Eugene. And in Roseburg on 1490 AM, and Klamath Falls 960 AM, and of course the people streaming or listening on 750 The Game in Portland. How about that, Strong? How many more stations we're on now? Kind of a I big, love that. Kind of a big deal. It's not 25 million. Listen, but... I mean, I lived in Eugene for four years. I called uh, at least one that I could remember high school football game in Roseburg years ago when I was making my way up. We have a great state. I'll tell you, so I got COVID in May when I was in Nashville. Okay. And I drove home from Nashville. <sighs> For, it was like a two-day drive because I'm like yeah. I'm not going to sit in Nashville for a week until yeah. I can clear positive and get on a plane. And I love the drive. We have an yeah. amazing country. It's a big country. Yeah. It's a beautiful country. But I, I'm serious. Crossing the border from Idaho, crossing the Snake River, yeah. there is no state more beautiful than ours. And and it was wonderful to just do that drive and see all of that. So I, I love that it's yeah. statewide. I love this state. I travel the world. There's no place like here. What I want is I want a van. Here's my idea. We get a van. It has broadcast tech capability. Yeah. 
and we just drive the state in the summer. Yeah. Hey, we're in. Do state fairs. We're that in was one of the, today. That was one know? of the first. That was actually the first thing I did when I was hired at KXL is I helped engineer a large remote at the state fair in Albany. Yeah. And we had like a like a Bloom and Onion delivered to the like it was an RV, <laughs> and we had snacks and stuff. I was yeah. like, this is great. This yeah. is the best thing ever. Yeah. You I want to sleep. Trips. I want to sleep in the van too. Yeah. Why not? You know, just driving around. The kids the country. will love it. Uh, John Strong with us, Fox Sports. You heard him on the World Cup. Uh, let me ask you, Monday Night Football, mm-hmm. uh, DeMar Hamlin, he makes a tackle, he gets up, he falls down, suddenly uh, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck are on the spot. You have a news story, not a sporting event. I want to know what you were thinking when you watched that. So I was, we had just gotten home from Central Oregon that day, the game was on, I was, you know, I'm puttering around, I'm unpacking, I'm fixing dinner. And I'm sort of looking over. It was when I looked over twice in a row and they were on the beauty cam. And the mm. beauty cam is what we call, it's a fixed camera. It's like a GoPro. And it's up in the corner of the stadium. It's okay. that sort of very wide shot that you maybe see over a graphic or coming out of break. When they were on the beauty cam twice in a row, mm. that was for me the red flag. Something has happened here. This is not normal. I immediately started paying attention. Um, there's a couple things in this. It's a reminder to me. I, you know, they tell you not to speculate with injuries, but even in general, I never really commit all the way. Mm-hmm. Someone is down, and we'll let's just sort of see where this goes. Um, ESPN has experience with this, unfortunately enough. A year and a half ago, European Championship, Christian Eriksen, star player for Denmark, has a cardiac arrest on the field. Different circumstance um, mm-hmm. as the one Demar Hamlin had, but. They at that point it was because it was an international soccer event. They don't control the pictures in that, and and the UEFA World Feed for some unknown reason sat on Erickson getting CPR. Yeah. Derek Ray calling the game, you know he ha- and it was until finally ESPN and Bristol like pushed the red button and they yeah. got out of there. So this is different in that they have control the pictures. So yeah. You get away from it, right? You don't want to. You sh- don't want to show him getting. And, and you don't want to show the emotion. Yeah. Like there's a, there's an element. I thought they did a great job to recognize quickly. This is different, and we just need to back off here. Um, there's whatever you do is wrong because you cut to commercial. Yeah. And it's a hard juxtaposition. It's you know NFL mm-hmm. buy your playoff tickets. That that's a hard thing. I don't know yeah. if I'm a brand. I want my commercial airing in there. It's a tough yeah. one. You stay with the announcers. What are you supposed to say? Right. What are you supposed to do there? I saw people suggest, why not go to alternate programming? What, are you going to re-air the Cotton Bowl? Like, yeah. the, whatever you do is wrong. And I thought the the all the on-air people, um, you know, everyone back in the studio, Susie Kolber, um, you know, eventually they brought Scott Van Pelden. I thought they did a remarkable job. They did exactly all you can do, which is you report what you know. It was, it was notable to me ESPN very deliberately did not go chasing the story. Mm-hmm. You know, Lisa Salters, um, who does a terrific job, she was down there, but she wasn't clearly being aggressive yeah. in what she was trying to get to. Because, as you said, we're all of us on Twitter, and there are local reporters in Cincinnati in loading yeah. dock, at the hospital, and ESPN really just backed off completely. And I think that's the smart thing to do for... Among other reasons, there's a humanity aspect of it. You always have to be aware, as was the case, his uncle and his younger brother are watching the telecast. So you've got to be very careful how you approach it. And as we all know, and, and you know, we, before big events like the World Cup, will have a big seminar. And one of the things they tell us is we want to be right. More importantly, we want to be first. And it's very difficult to be right. Mm-hmm. In social media, I mean, even six months ago, you'd say, well, just make sure it's a verified Twitter account. Well, what does that even mean? Yeah. And and I was pleased there was very little misinformation. There was some deliberate misinformation because you're always going to get that. But 
most of the reporting by reporters in Cincinnati ended yeah. up being accurate. Yeah, it held and, up. And we didn't get yep. any – but that's the danger. You don't want to be wrong in that scenario. It's a very tough one. You know, we – there's always those types of plants. Um, I have been in situations in broadcasts where we have – contingencies, more of like a terrorist attack mm-hmm. mindset. We even, for the U.S.-Iran game at the World Cup, there was a plan in place for if something happens, if the game is stopped, X, you, Y, and Meaning Z. if there's like a attack. If there's some there's, sort of attack, if yeah. there's some sort of an incident. Wow. You talk through those plans. I mean, it's it, you, you hope to never have to use them, but there's always those sorts of things. And, and so I thought ESPN did a, a, a tremendous job overall. All the networks, you know, they will have watched that. They will have their own plans. Um, it would be naive to say that that will never see something like that again. I just think yeah. that you I, know. I want. I thought they did okay. I wanted Troy Aikman to talk about what it's like to be a player, like to be a real person. And I could right. feel he probably had somebody in his ear, and as did Joe. But Buck. also, how would he know? Because yeah. no one's been through that. Yeah, that's the difference. No one had been through that type of scenario. So I do think it's difficult to. You know, hey Troy, what's this like for the players? Like, right. Gosh, I don't know. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's such a unique thing. Uh, what about Joe Buck? He goes on. He's four times. He says, uh, you know, the teams, both teams have been given five minutes to warm up. The NFL is telling us this. The NFL later says, no, we're not. Just give us your twenty thousand foot view of what you think might have happened. It's there. it's tough because when you say the NFL, what does that mean? Is that the game official? Is that someone at the stadium? Is that the league office? Is that yeah, that that was the interesting one, and and I think that'll be the thing that you end up having some again investigative reporting is a strong word, but it's yeah. an interesting question of in that it because at the very 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 least there is a muscle memory, and this is something players have talked about. There's a muscle memory in all sports, certainly in football. Okay, he's in the stretcher, he's in the ambulance, he's driven off. Yeah, it's third. Game's and gonna yeah, game's gonna resume. Okay, we've been standing around for a while. Go get loose for a few minutes, and we'll restart. In 1971, you had Chuck Hughes who. Died on the field, had a heart attack, and they just moved him off the field, and they finished the game. The the incident a year and a half ago at the European Championship, the Danish players did not want to continue. And UEFA, as was reported later, said, well, if you don't want to play the game, you forfeit, because mm. this is the middle of a tournament. We've got a lot of games going on, and yes, we have television sponsor pressure. We have to get the game in now. So you're going to figure it out, take some time, but you're going to play this game. And those sorts of things are, again, it's a no-win scenario. And and I thought, yeah, you could tell ESPN after was choosing their words carefully in their statement. They don't need to get in a fight with, mm-hmm. with a league partner. Um, but that's, as I say, it, there is that muscle memory of, oh, okay, he's off the field, we restart the game. And, and that was where this situation was different. And it continues even today. There is still that sense of, we don't know when or if this game will be restarted. We don't know when or if the Bills will take the field. And, and I think whatever in the moment we're used to doing, I've been pleased just as a sports fan, as an observer on the outside, how everyone has reacted since. Oh, going, yeah. Okay, we, the, nothing is gained. And if we have to push back the playoffs, if we have to eliminate the bye week before the Super Bowl, what, we'll figure those things out. That I, is less I like. I, I found that I went on Twitter looking for info and very quickly found some reporters who were at the stadium who I think, could be trusted, who were giving information. But what else I found really uh, gave me faith in humanity. It was people praying. It was people coming together. The normal trolling wasn't happening. And I was surprised by that. And people were all trying to be tasteful and tactful. And and uh, I came away going, you know what? People are good. 
Well, and I think one of the and, – and my wife, Nicole, very quick, you know, she saw the GoFundMe and, and sort of the toy drive he had done before, and she was like, we should give to that, and, and okay. And the way that has, has yeah. exploded with north of $6 million, I think, at this point, it – there's always going to be, you know, Twitter is such a funny thing. Um, it, it it goes to the extremes, the best and the worst mm-hmm. in all in all regards. But I, I will agree with you. It is it's a shame that it takes a moment like that for us to know this young man, for us to know his story, for us to know the good things that he's done. It's a shame that it takes a moment like that for there to be some humanity and some larger perspective. But it's nice to know it's there when needed. Why do you think that people tapped into that? Why is it? that he's 24 years old and we all see him? Is it that, you know, this is an invincible NFL player who suddenly uh, looks uh, like he's in trouble? Like, what? why did it It's ta- an interesting it question. I think a lot of it is because you're right. The NFL in particular, it is the most glad- uh, gladiatorial, however you pronounce yeah. that. It is the ultimate glad- gladiator sport. It is the ultimate tough guy sport. Um, and, you know, one of the, the phrases of the zeitgeist is toxic masculinity and sort of how that plays into football. And I think seeing... These gladiators, these ultimate men of men, professional football players crying and having that emotion, having that fear, I think that really sort of shatters the normal way we think and we look at sports. Whether it lasts the next NFL game that kicks off Saturday afternoon and we just go right back to normal and we're yelling and screaming about things, we'll see. But I think seeing that change in the emotion of the players themselves, I think that has a visceral effect on all of us of, okay, if if he... Stefan Diggs, whoever, is having this kind of emotion. This is a different scenario. I think that was jarring yeah. for people to see that. John Strong's the voice of American soccer. More coming up. I'm going to ask him about the Timbers, the Thorns. Wait, what? And plus, uh, you know, what it was like to be in that World Cup setting and, and see a friend and a colleague pass away. Uh, tragedy at the World Cup as well. Leave it here. More with John Strong coming up. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Every once in a while, I do a radio show just for me. This show, this hour, just for me. I'm talking with John Strong, the voice of American soccer. I hope you're enjoying it as well. Uh, we're talking about a variety of things. He's fresh off. Can I share an anecdote yeah. about that song, by the way, that yeah, reminds go ahead. me? Yeah, go ahead. So Are You Gonna Go My Way by Lenny Kravitz. That was like a song that came out when I was like in elementary school. Okay. At the World Cup, <laughs> yeah. they would play um, at one point in like the pregame warm-ups when they would, they would announce the starting lineup and they would play a nation-specific song. Yeah. So like when it was the Dutch, it was like some song written in the 70s about the Dutch national team or it was... That's the song that they played. That was like their ultimate Americana. That was, was Lenny Kravitz, Are You Going to Go My Way, as they announced the starting lineup of the U.S. in the stadium. That's our the song. World Cup. So I, I, apparently yeah. that was like what they picked is like iconic. So anyway, sorry to derail. No, let me, let's go back to, you know, there. it wasn't all celebrations. Grant Wall, uh, who wrote for Sports Illustrated, who, uh, you know, had carved out, like me, he went rogue. He went off and he was doing his own thing. <laughs> And writing, and and he was over there covering the World Cup, um, and he was very critical of the government of Qatar, and um, and he ended up uh, having an incident at a game. You were there. What was that like? Just to you know, and you know him. So to circle back a little bit for people yeah. that don't know, Grant Wall is a very important part of sort of the canon of American soccer journalism. He wrote at Sports Illustrated at a time when Sports Illustrated was one of the most significant sources of information that was thursday was the best day of the week because si Mm -hmm. was in the mailbox when he got home from school 
and he was the first soccer writer, true soccer writer at Sports Illustrated. He was the guy who would push, and we would see American soccer players in the cover of SI. I got to work with him. He joined us at Fox. He would be a sideline reporter, sort of, you know, kind of like what Tom Rinaldi does, where he mm-hmm. sort of comes in and out to do different pieces for a period of years. Um, you know, we we had dinner with him a bunch. I did a bunch of games with him. I hadn't worked with him for a few years, but we'd always see him. And 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 he was one of the and, and critical, yes, but also very important journalism that he was doing, very brave journalism that he was yeah. doing, just to tell the bigger picture of what was going on. So we did. It was Argentina Netherlands. It was the quarterfinal, and it was a bonkers game. Argentina led 2-0 with 10 minutes to go. The Netherlands scored twice, including in the final seconds on a chaotic sort of design play off a free kick. It went to a penalty shootout. Argentina wins the penalty shootout. 90,000-ish capacity stadium. 99% of it is Argentina fans. The, the building is coming unglued because Argentina has survived this game. They've won the penalty shootout. So normally, the game ends back to you, Rob Stone, in our studio. And we would turn around and put our backs to the field as a camera right behind us in this, mm-hmm. this where all these broadcasters, they basically what they do, they take a couple sections of seats, they take out every other row, they put desks in, and you have, we would have Argentina television announcers to our right, French television to our left, riders around, that sort of thing. Before we could do that, one of our audio technicians and one of our security guys, less for our protection, more to keep us from getting lost, they grabbed us by the shoulder, they said, do not turn around. Hmm. Don't turn around, right? There's a medical emergency behind you. For another journalist, don't turn around. You don't want to see it. So that's and, and our audio technician, like he was white, he was ashen faced. So everyone around us is celebrating. The whole stadium's celebrating. Yeah. Broadcasters around us are going crazy. And I made eye contact with one of the announcers from French television, and he looked at me weird. Why are you staring forward and look so somber when I'm celebrating? All we knew mm-hmm. at this point, there was a journalist. The image I had in my head, an elderly journalist, yeah, overcoming excitement. Sure. So after a while. Okay, you can turn around, do your thing. We do our hit. We're walking out, and we hear it was Grant Wall. And to tell you that is the last possible thing we expected. Um, two of the other writers, Brian Strauss from Sports Illustrated, longtime friend and colleague of Grant, Stephen Goff of the Washington Post, I saw them coming out. They looked through me. Normally, you'd make eye contact. You, they, it was like they were right there. Our audio technician was right there. Our security, one of our security guards and one of Telemundo's security guards were two of the first people to be medically assisting before EMTs could get there. Um, so first of all is that grief and shock and numbness. Yeah. The second part of my grief was thinking of his wife receiving that call, his brother receiving that call, friends and colleagues of his who were right there when it happened. And, and people might remember... The following night, we're calling France, England. Just before we come out of commercial break, the, the World Feed broadcast cuts to a, a little memorial. It was an empty seat, what would yeah. have been his seat. And I got choked. I didn't expect what was going to happen. But I, all of that emotion, thinking of his friends and family and, and those sorts of things and projecting my wife right. receiving that call. Yeah. You know? Because you're away from your wife and kids. For five weeks on the other end of the Grant world. Grant is. Yeah. yeah, like five weeks are you able to FaceTime with your kids? Or are you getting like twice a day, basically? Yeah. And it's and so, I got overcome with emotion in the moment. Now here's the other thing. I had been horribly sick that whole day. Mm-hmm. The day of the Argentina Netherlands game, I had the we have a doctor who I came. I was a mess. I was like, do I have COVID? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, I had a horrible sore throat. The first part of that game, I was shivering. I was mm-hmm. freezing cold. The second part of the game, I take my jacket off. I was sweating. 
the extra time I had a splitting headache, just an awful headache as I'm trying to fight through and call this game, and I've got a horse. I was a mess. Well, I didn't tell my wife, Nicole, I was sick before the game. I'm like, I don't want to worry her. Yeah. After the game, I sure as heck ain't tell her now. Right. Because now, and I'm reading the next morning, wow. Grant Wall, you know, had been he had been sick. He had bronchitis. And at that point, you're, how does that go to cardiac arrest? So I, I was sort of in a personal sense of fear for 24 hours until we start learning more about he had been complaining about chest tightness. Autopsy confirms it was something totally different. I didn't tell Nicole for two weeks I had been sick yeah. until I got home at the Because there's no point in doing that. You're just going to worry. At PDX, or, yeah. we're driving home. Yeah. Normally, she would be very angry at me if when I, yeah. you know, and she's like, I'm glad you didn't tell me. That was right. the right choice. But it was it was hard because, yeah, you, you, you grieve for him. You grieve for his family. You project that emotion. I think all of us at that point, everyone that I knew that I talked to that had kids and family were all sort of like, okay, we're kind of ready for this thing to end. Like, we kind of just want to get home. And, and the tournament ended on a, on a wonderful note, but that was – that was hard. It was. It was as you. It's similar to what happened Monday night. You're used to things happening. Things always happen. Bad things always happen. But death and that type of death and the suddenness and to be a matter to be right of rows there. behind yeah. us. Um, that is something that is is difficult. And and that's where the next night we called France England, and I was still sick and fighting through it. The night after we had a Fox party and and someone who works with Fox somewhere else was asking about the game. France, England, you know, and as he's talking to me, I realize I don't even remember the game. I remember mm. the France won, yeah. but I was in such a, an emotionally numb state. Yeah. I was like on autopilot, and I'm like, even now, that game is the haziest of all of them. I, uh, you know, because I was reading Grant Wall and and felt, you know, I'd known him as a writer, uh, you know, and had been in press boxes with him and talked to him. We had him on the show, but uh, I I was tuned in to he was he was very critical. And and he was telling people what is going on with with uh, Qatar and their government and the royal family and I mean he took some shots and his brother immediately after his death sort of fueled the fire of possible foul play and I remember I texted you that night be careful and you're not the only one yeah it, but I was worried that this was some kind of coordinated attack. Um, how did that feel on your end when that sort of before you knew this was a yeah, hard issue? It, it, that that never and listen, I, I can't even imagine being his brother and being in that emotional state and all that. It it never really factored into our thinking. Our thinking was more and my thinking was more this sense of okay, how did bronchitis become cardiac arrest? That was more my fear. Mm. Like what is it? Because a lot of people people always get sick at these things. These right. are the, the, you know it they're. World Cups are a month long. It's twice the length of an Olympics, and you're sort of working in a 24-7 cycle. Can't imagine that. Everyone yeah. gets sick at some point. And so, and there's always, you know, and, and there's there are respiratory syndromes that exist in the Middle East that really exist here. That So there was that element of, for a couple of days there, really until the autopsy, where I think everyone was a little bit on edge. Okay, what what happened here? Is anyone else at risk of that? I will say this. At no point ever, ever, ever did I feel unsafe whatsoever. Mm. Qatar as a country is actually safer than the United States from like a crime standpoint, different reasons why. Certainly when we were there, we had our own security. Everyone was very fresh. So at no point was it anything that was anything untoward, anything unsafe. There were moments in Russia where it was like, oh, why don't we get back to the hotel now? <laughs> None of that yeah. in Qatar. But, but there was that... 
I think a lot of us needed to understand more of what had happened, and it there was that fear of how did A become B become C, and and it, are any of us at risk of that? Yeah. We'll talk about Merritt Paulson, the Timbers and the Thorns. I'm talking to John Strong, the voice of American soccer. You uh, see him on Fox calling the World Cup. You're hearing him now. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. John Strong has agreed to stick around for a while. I hope you're enjoying this interview as much as I am. I hope you don't get me fired here. Um, that, that, I'm not. I'm not trying to get anybody fired. I'm just. I'm enjoying the You've story. You tried telling. before. The, you you hung up on Don Garber years ago. You almost killed my career before it started. Commissioner of MLS. Well, he wouldn't answer the damn question. We laugh about that now. Yeah, the Don. He wouldn't answer my question. Well, how could he answer you? You were like, what? What is going to be the economic impact on the taxpayers What's here in it for us for this expansion? And he was like, I don't know what. But what's Ask in it, the mayor. What's in it for us is a fair question. I, right? think, I think it worked out well overall. I guess. Uh, let's talk about that. <laughs> let's talk about that. Timbers, Thorns, Merritt Paulson, um, obviously the, the scandal with Paul Riley and the Thorns. Everybody really disappointed with that. Uh, the Timbers fans, Thorns fans upset at Gavin Wilkinson, Mike Golub, Merritt Paulson. Um, you know, he has relinquished control of the team for operation standpoint is – Apparently selling the thorns. Where do you what do you make of that whole story? You know the ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, and I know the people involved. I've known Merritt for more than 15 years. I've known Gavin for about as long. I worked for Mike Gala, but I would say throughout it's been heartbreaking. I think is the best way to phrase it. Genuinely heartbreaking. Your your heart is broken for the women who dealt with what Paul Riley did to them. Who then you know we we teach our kids. If you have a problem you can't solve, talk to an adult. Talk to someone right. in charge. Talk to a teacher. Talk to a police officer. They tried to do that, and they were summarily ignored for what people felt was the greater good. Um, that is heartbreaking to me. It is heartbreaking to me as some, you know, people get bent out of shape about this sometimes. I'm always going to have, the Portland Timbers will always mean a lot to me. And I'm unabashedly a Portland Thorns fan because I don't work in NWSL. I was yeah. wearing my Thorns jersey at the championship game in Washington, D.C. in the fall. And it was heartbreaking for me to see such negative headlines, justifiably so, involving my city, involving these teams that mean a lot to me. Um, I don't know. One of the things that's really important and has always been true and has made the Timbers and Thorns different and special is it does feel like a public trust. And there is a special relationship between the city and the club and the fans. And a lot of that has been very broken. Um, and, and whether different people, different perspectives agree with the circumstances, it's been broken. And it needs to be fixed because otherwise, what's the point of any of it? And so... Whether that means that there is a change in ownership, whether it means that there's a change in in management, I, I don't know precisely what the proper answer is here. Because I also know, and it's a bummer, be, bummer is such a, a flippant word, but there was so much good about what Merritt Paulson was doing, about mm -hmm. what Gavin Wilkinson and Mike Golub were doing. Think about, but before this stuff came out, all the things that we would say were so wonderful and amazing about these teams and about the city of Portland. And as you know, soccer teams to be relevant in a sports market is a rare thing in this country. And the Portland Timbers and Thorns had that. And so to have had these things come in which were all preventable, which were all avoidable, which were potentially fixable, very early on, yeah. had different decisions been made. Um, to be where we are, I, I don't know what the pathway is out of that. 
I don't know precisely what the end game is from a player standpoint, from a fan standpoint, from a Merritt Paulson standpoint. And these things can be messy and they can be tricky. Even the notion of having different ownership for the Thorns as the Timbers, that's a very tricky thing because mm-hmm. a lot of what makes it work is the fact that it is one club and one organization. There's a lot of synergy there and and there's a lot of very unintended consequences that can come. So what my sincere, not as Fox Sports broadcast or anything else, but yeah. just as a, as a lifelong soccer fan and a lifelong resident of this city, that at some point we can get to a place where it feels like things are fixed again. Because things are still, they feel broken now. And that is just, as I said, so heartbreaking for me. And I'm so desperate to see them fixed again because there is so much wonderful about this city, these fans, the players, the clubs, and, and so much of that that can be just a wonderful beacon for how we can do this sport in this country. And I just, I, I so hope we get back to that point. We're, we're listening to John Strong, the voice of American soccer. Uh, Bruce has called in. Bruce in Portland, he's got a question for you, Strong. Go ahead, Bruce. You're on with John Strong. Hey, thanks, John, both of you guys. John, a big fan, man. I've been listening to you since you were uh, with Gonzano. I've kind of gone full circle here. Thank you. Um, hey, just a general question. Uh, you do an awesome job broadcasting at these international events where you've got hundreds of players from dozens of countries, you know, with all of these foreign names. How long does it take you to, to, to go through the rosters of all these countries and memorize these, these names and, and stats and packages, you know, and bios and stuff on these guys? It's crazy how, how good you are at, at pronunciation and knowing a lot about a lot of players. Well, I, I appreciate that. A lot of that, um, as my family will say, is, is sort of me being able to pretend like I know what I'm talking about when I really don't. <laughs> um, I am help. We get wonderful resources. Or, you know, Fox has a lot of resources. Again, I've got... One of my best friends since I was in middle school, Eric. We went to high school together, went to college together. He sits on my left, and I I trust did you him. Get to, did you get yeah. to choose him? In 2015 for yeah. the Women's World Cup, they said, who do you want as a, yeah. as a spot? And you didn't pick me? Huh? No, sorry. So there's nothing no. wrong with me? No, because you, 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 eh, know, you know, as a soccer player. You're a little squirrely. Yeah, some, sometimes <laughs> you get bored. I trust Eric with my life. If he puts something in front of me, because mm-hmm. I, I, that, that's kind of what it is. Anything, you are responsible for what you say on air regardless of anything else. And so to have that as a resource, but yeah, it's just a lot of that period of weeks. And I tried, it's so funny. My whole thing coming into this world cup was, I don't want to stay up to, I don't want to be so into it because you use 5% of what you have. Right. Inevitably I prepared way too much just because my own anxiety. And you know, some of it is you, when you make an error, you, you cover it. Some of it is, as you talked about earlier, if I don't have my fastball that night, or if I'm not 100% sure, I'm just going to be silent. Just let the crowd mm-hmm. do the talking. Lean on Stu more mm-hmm. that night. But it is, I love the preparation. I love the process. I love, one of my favorite things is a blank sheet of paper with a game in three or four days. And just that process of what's the story here. I, I In some ways, I almost love the preparation sometimes more. Than, sometimes the games are duds. But I always enjoy the prep. And I think... That you do have to have a weird mindset um, to do this. I'm getting better at it every time I do it, understanding what I do and don't need to know. Um, at the end of the day, you're, you're, if you're using more than 5 or 10% of what's in front of you, either you haven't prepared enough or you're just having to fill. Um, but that is something I take a lot of pride in, is just feeling like I can tell the story accurately as it's going on. Well, the first time that you talked on air, I, I said, and I told Anna, 
he's Bob Costas. Like, I heard it. I heard it right away. You're going to be Bob Costas. Like, I knew that. I got the domain name, voiceofamericansoccer.com, because I thought I would still... I thought I would turn that into something. Do you still have that? I, I had it for a while. I think I gave it up. <laughs> I, th- I think I, in fact, offered it to you, and you said not interested. Eh, eh, yeah. you know. But I think uh, it's interesting to kind of watch you evolve. But on that note of silence, how do you know, or maybe what did you learn along the way that told you, hey... Sometimes you got to let the moment breathe. There, particularly in soccer broadcasting, because in other countries they it's a very different philosophy. It's a much longer conversation, though. The industry term is laying out. There are some moments where you just go by feel. There are some where I like as a fan. I like to hear the crowd. I, I think it's great to feel like you're there. And and if the crowd is really in good voice, am I going to shout over it? There are other instances, particularly we've gotten a lot better at this at the end of games where we will, we're having very deliberate, intentional conversations that aren't going out on air. How long do we want to, you know, how long do we have? Because there's pressure sometimes to get to studio. There's different ratings calculations that go into when we go to studio, we cap the game, we do this, we do... Sometimes we got to stopwatch going of, of how long. So it is, it is very organized hmm. chaos in that moment. In the aftermath of Gonzalo Montiel, the winning penalty kick for Argentina. We don't talk for, what, two and a half minutes? We're talking the whole time to our producer, mm-hmm. to our studio, to the executive control room in L.A. So your mics are just down. Our mics are just yeah. down. But there's a very a lot of control going on of how long do we let this go, when do we transition out. But it's something we've gotten better at, and it's something I take pride in. I make the joke, my best work is when I'm not talking. But I recognize the fact that there are some moments when there's absolutely nothing that I could say that is going to tell the story any better than the images and the natural sound that you're seeing. So why, why try? The um, the criticism that you get, social media and whatnot. I don't see it. Um, you don't see any of it. I have not looked at one Twitter response in, That's good. in almost five years. I have not read one word, and I'm not exaggerating. I have not read one word of what anyone said about us, good or bad. Because, again, as you told me, yeah. don't believe them when they say yeah, you stink. You, you can't don't believe, believe when they say you're great. And so I have completely avoided it. In saying that, we there we got some wonderful bits of feedback whether it be i i won't be the name dropper but but colleagues of ours professionally other networks who i have a lot of respect for who i was shocked that we're paying attention and thought we yeah. did well whether it is my mom's church choir friends <laughs> they all have the same validity to their opinion right. right and you get enough of those bits where you sort of go okay you know there's no such thing as perfection we're always going to get better but we're on the right track here. Yeah, but I think my original quote was, you're never as bad or as good as they say. You're somewhere in between. Yeah. And it's true, because if you listen too much to the negative Nellies, then they're going to tell you... And that's someone... I'm, I'm the person yeah. who would get 99 compliments and one criticism, and that one criticism yeah. would eat at me. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and what you don't know is what that person went through that day. Yeah. Like they're having a bad day, or maybe they're just a, a nutbag. Or it's just it's, you know? it's a subjective opinion, yeah. and they just don't like the sound of your voice, and okay. But the compliments can be just as much a poison in your veins, and I have seen that happen of broadcasters who trick themselves into thinking people are tuning in to hear us. They're not. They're tuning in to watch the game. And the instant you think that people are watching a game to hear your voice, it's game over. You're done there. All right, you're going to stick around. You're going to do the five at five. Well, you minutes. locked the door, so where am I supposed yeah, to? Yeah, where are you going to go? I actually didn't. I should lock it. I usually keep it locked. <laughs> I'm surprised you my, never know my what's daughter hasn't come in yet. I know. I've had children walk into the studio <laughs> during the show. Uh, coming up, we're going to do the five at five. Now, Strong, you've always wanted to make this a more soccer-influenced show. 
I feel like I have. So in the five at five, I'm going to do one, three, and five. Okay. You're going to do two and four. Gee, if only there was something interesting going on in the American <laughs> soccer world today. All right. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. All that is coming up. Plus, we'll take your phone calls if you want to ask Strong a question. 503-417-7575 is a phone number. Uh, this is your chance to get a question in uh, if you're a broadcaster or not a broadcaster. But John Strong has been kind enough to give us his time. More with John Strong, including the five at five, coming up after the break. You got the BFT. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. I appreciate everybody who listens to this show, makes it part of their day. I, I'm really excited on today's show to have John Strong be part of it. Um, I was watching you in the World Cup, listening to you. I got to say, I got a little glassy-eyed, man. So Can I. I say that? I actually choked up uh, at the beginning of the final, the same as I did four years ago. There's a yeah. there's a moment where my voice gets a little bit high because yeah. I was getting choked up right at the, like my first, <laughs> first words out of my mouth. Yeah. I'm calling a World Cup final this is incredible i can remember yeah i was doing usl portland timbers games on this here radio station yeah uh 15 years ago feeling like i've hit the big time and and now i'm calling to tens of millions of people the world cup final. it's it's remarkable we uh, we have some moments over the years we're gonna get to the five at five i promise and strong you'll appreciate this more than anybody like i don't always stay on schedule like we're supposed to do the five at five i, at five I am o'clock. aware of this yes okay I, I have experience but then i get i get distracted yeah. Yeah, I get that. Do you remember when we had the psychic on the show? Do you remember this? Vaguely. Okay. I remember the massage. Yeah. I remember the pole dancing class. Yeah. I remember lighting the intern on fire. Yeah. Um, I remember the shouting matches with Chip Kelly and the mayor and O.J. Simpson's agent or lawyer or yeah. whatever it Rick was. Rick Gilbert. Rick Gilbert. I'll never forget the guy's yeah. name. It was terrible. That was a terrible interview. Uh it, you you were kind of part of the show when we went through our Gallagher phase. See, I always describe it as a David Letterman in the '80s phase. Like okay. you got bored after a couple of years, yeah. and you were like, "What silly things can we do to spice this up?" And Stephen, you may appreciate this. Uh, we had—I don't know if they were pole dancers or maybe they were. It was were. pole dancing as exercise. Oh, it was pole dancers. As, they're athletes. Yeah, but it was as, like, a, yeah. like as exercise, like Pilates. Yeah. Okay. And they wanted to come on the show, and we happened to, at the time, have a studio that was on the ground floor. And when you looked out the window, there happened to be this no parking sign that had a beautiful pole. It was a pole, yeah. And it was right outside the window. Yeah. And so I got the idea, let's have the pole dancers dance on the parking pole during the show. By the way, great radio. <laughs> Visual medium that this is. Really superb content. It, like I say, there every once in a while I do a show for me. Yeah. Okay. And so I'll never forget. And the pole dancers were athletes. I don't know if you remember. Oh yeah. They came in and they had guns. Yes. Like the biceps were out uh, that day, and uh, we had them dancing on the pole. And people were very confused as they drove by. Well, remember the former studio of like the hip hop morning show. So yeah. there was a high bar that had been set for people yeah. in the building of shenanigans. You also defended. Uh, I was just going to say this. Goal. This is my all-time yeah. favorite. Is. Megan Rapino, before she was Megan Rapino, Madam yep. President, and me when I was an idiot with hair. Right. Um, back in two thousand eight. It's that's still one of my favorite because she she was a star at the University of Portland, but 
Yeah. That, you know, and I knew she was going to be a great player. And I was but just we didn't some know idiot she kid. Would be, and not to yeah. compare the two of us, because the, the, the cultural icon that she's begun is become is a different level. But it's fun. She was yeah, kicking soccer balls at me. Yeah. I still have the ball. It's got scuff marks on it. We set it up. Because you were always talking about what a great goalkeeper you were. and all I, I, I don't talk about and, that anymore. And so we set up in the hallway. We spray painted on the wall a goal. Yeah. Which... I back don't know back when you could do such we just could spray do, paint on the wall yeah, and whatever. Just, we yeah. need a goal. Spray paint on the wall. So weird they kicked us out of the building. And then we had Megan Rapino in the hallway. You can see this on YouTube if you Google it. Senior University of Portland at yeah. the time. And we had her kick rockets at you, essentially. Well, she was with her weaker foot, and it was when I saved one of them. If you yeah. watch the video, I like to make a clean catch yeah. save, and she switches to her other foot. Yeah. And, and there was a different level of it. was like <laughs> a little velocity. she just turned the, the knob up one notch. It was a change in velocity yeah. that happened. Um, so we did that, but we also had, we had like, you know, some big moments on the show with the psychic. You don't remember the psychic? Madam uh, Mario. Apparently not. So we brought her on because we wanted to know what was going to happen with Greg Oden. Do you remember? Like, and we brought her, and she gave. I all just the, when you say Greg Oden, there is so much that yeah. floods back into my brain. <laughs> uh, do you remember when Greg Oden came on the show after the picture? Yes, Greg Oden. I mean, that's another. It's a story for Greg Oden saved sports media in this city. Well, I take yeah. it back. Winning the number one pick in the draft lottery. Yeah, but yeah, Greg Oden. What what a journey. Yeah. 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 And so yeah. Greg yeah. Oden came, you know, it was, was his future was up in question. We brought on a psychic. We said, you know, what's going to happen Greg Oden? She didn't think it was going to work out for Oden. She thought bold take. She she thought bold. She thought Nate McMillan was the right coach, but not Greg Oden. And I eventually turned the subject to your love life. I don't believe What date is this? I, this is looks like it's March of 2010. That that may just be when we saved it. Okay. Okay, so it may be much older. <laughs> But this is what the psychic said about your love life. I'm getting that actually when he gets out and has fun, he's a fun guy. It's just he doesn't give himself a chance to meet anybody. So until he switches that to taking more interest in getting out and having fun, see him kind of going along just as he is. She nailed that. I do remember this, actually. She nailed that. Yeah. Because you did get out. Nicole and I have been dating. If that was indeed March of 2010, we've been dating for uh, a little over six months at that point. If so, you didn't tell us. You kept it a secret. Well, yeah. Until the proposal, but uh, I would think Nicole would probably vouch for the fact that, you know, until she's, you get she's out She's in the and kitchen. Do you, well, you want her to come in like <laughs> they're listening have, out there? Our wives are listening. Until you have fun, you know. I had to, you know, I had to get to that point in my mid-20s where I was just – confident in my own skin and it was the, the same in in life as in broadcasting as in anything else if you're confident in who you are and if you feel like you found your voice the the rest falls into place the uh you used to host a show also called strong at night i want to play the ratings op- monster i want to play yes. the open to that this was right here on this station and now a man who needs no introduction the station's most popular personality He's a walking strongopedia, full of sports facts and knowledge, along with a dose of strong opinion. Oh, that sounds like fun. It's Strong at Night. Strong at Night. 86 minute one won the score. Marceline crosses in. Horace there. Horace had a goal! Presented by Herside Meyer Volkswagen on Sports Radio 758. There it is. That bring back some memories. So I tell you that you you talk about you doing shows just to make yourself just for you. That was me on that show. I got to a point. <laughs> I'm not a sports radio host, and I was just doing it. So one of my my proudest things I did on that show, I started to have bands on, just for fun. 
So John Mullen, drummer of the Decembers, came on to talk about the Blazers. Mm-hmm. We had a guy, he was a keyboardist with, it was a band that had just put out their first ever, it wasn't even a full album, it was an, it was an EP. And they were called Portugal the Man. Okay. No one had ever heard of them. Yeah. And the keyboardist at the time, he was a guy from Salem, he's not with the band anymore, he came on, we talked about the Blazers, and I played their their first single on, on the air. And I've always loved that, because they've become a gargantuan yeah. hit. So... I came up in the fall with this clever idea. I wish I had known this was coming up. I could have grabbed the audio. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we were doing Portugal-Uruguay. This was the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Okay. And we come out of break. We've got some time to kill before the second half. And they're on a shot of Cristiano Ronaldo. And I go on a whole little monologue for 40-some-odd seconds talking about Cristiano Ronaldo. And it's all in Portugal the Man song lyrics. <laughs> Didn't uh, Just to see yeah. if anyone would pick up on it. You- and a couple days later, someone had picked up on it, and Portugal, the man themselves, tweeted out oh, a link great. to this. And I, that was one of my favorite parts is just me being a goofball. Yeah. This band that I love, and I'm just going to put a bunch of song lyrics in, see if anyone fit. I told the guys in the van after, and they started dying laughing. At that, They were like, what is this guy talking yeah. about? The fact that the band themselves. So that that's they, a great memory. They got it. Yeah, yeah. You, you had fun with that, but... You were just passing through, and I like that because you you were never under the illusion that you wanted to be like 60 years old and calling local soccer and hosting a show at night. You had other aspirations, and I know you had family members too who were kind of pushing you, going, hey, go for it. You know, I always had encouragement. I always had support and love. I always had a feeling, and and my parents did an incredible job. And I, you know, I try to echo that to my kids now of just chase whatever your dream is. And there's a lot that you can't control. Still now, I can't control, you know, if we get a new boss at Fox tomorrow. He doesn't like yeah. the sound of my voice. I can't control whether we have the rights to air World Cups or MLS into the future. All I can control is that I'm willing to work as hard as I possibly can. I'm willing to listen and learn and improve. And I'm just going to enjoy it. And if it all ends tomorrow, well, goodness, thanks for the memories. And if I get to do it again, then I'm going to bring the same work ethic and, and the same joy to it. But I've been very blessed to have had opportunities come my way infinitely earlier than they ever should have. I've called two World Cups. I've called a UEFA Champions League final, two of them, MLS Cups, you name it. I'm not even 40. I mean, I'm an infant in, in a business that skews old. You're I really, baby. really am. Yeah. And, and I'm so blessed and so lucky, and I never, ever lose sight of that. But also, like, and I've learned this some way too, this is a job where you can sort of lose your identity in the job, and your identity becomes the job. The job, as you say, will never hug you back, nope. and the job will always end, and then what do you have? And that's something where calling a World Cup, doing whatever, it's my wife, it's my two kids, to a lesser extent the dogs and the cats, that's that's my real life. Dogs in front here. of cats, though, they're, for sure. They're, they're fine. For I, you sure. Know, when the dog gets sick and i got to clean up after her this morning, that was a bit frustrating. What did, but, you know, uh, when you, uh, we're going to do the 5 at 5, I promise you, if you're listening, you're waiting listening for the 5 at 5. And, and we're like, who is this um, guy? Um, John Strong is with us, but give me the idea. Um, when you got home, you go, you get into PDX. I'm assuming you fly in. You've been gone. I for... drove because our flight got canceled oh. from Seattle. So you drove from Seattle. So uh, uh, Doc is his name. He's uh, Jenny Taft's producer. Lives in Hood River. So he and I are both. Our flight had been canceled from Seattle to Portland. It's chaos up there. It was the Monday before Christmas. Yeah. The first wave of the ice storm had hit. Yeah. So we were like, we're, that's, so we grabbed a rental car and drove down I five. And. So you get to PDX, yeah. though? You're dropping yeah. off the car. Yeah, he dropped me at the airport because then okay. he was heading to 84 okay. to Hood River. Yeah. So you uh, see your kids, yeah. you, you know, and you see Stella and Jacob and Nicole are there. Um, 
I saw the video. You stood still. I don't know how you stood still. I texted you that. I don't know how you stood still. Because they're running so, like Stella in particular, if I ran towards her, like that would be a bad collision because she is very fast. Yes. So what, but what was that moment like for you? Because it's the best. It's, it's the absolute best because it is that reminder of what is real and what is valuable and what is actually significant. And the fact that I can be gone for five weeks is a long time be gone from those kids at the age that they are. Then they love me so much that they want to run to me and, and, there's a fierceness to a hug in those types of moments. And that's a wonderful reminder that, as I say, when we do the job we do, we get the feedback. You can't let it go too much to your head, but it's nice to just get a sense you're on the right track. And those are the moments where, as a dad, as a husband, okay, I must be doing something right, that I can be gone for that amount of time. And it's hard. Your your days and nights are flipped. It's an 11-hour time mm-hmm. difference. It's it's rare that I get the moments. That, and, you know, they're young kids, right? So they don't FaceTime in quite the same way. It's, right. it's hard for them to really – Making faces at yeah. you. Yeah. Um, but to have that moment of like, okay, I must be doing something right. Did I, like if I leave for a weekend, sometimes I come back and six year old and eight year old, they look different to me. Yeah. Did the kids look different to you? They looked like they grown. To us, I mean, that's the advantage is that I'm able to see them every mm. single day. Yeah. But they're absolutely. It's it's you know, a little bit bigger, a little bit older, a little bit you know, with with our daughter. I mean, she's five, so the language skills are different. Yeah. Um, with my son, it's just the the crazy orange hair. That, that keeps getting longer. and, and <laughs> But it is. There will come a point in time when they're teenagers and they don't care. Oh, hey, Dad. Whatever. So to, oh, yeah. so to have that yeah, moment where they're that. young enough and yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that it is irreplaceable, and I know that it does not last forever. All right. We're going to do the 5 at 5. Stephen, can I still do the 5 at 5 but do it at 5.15? Yeah, I think so. But I have a question real quick. Go back to the yeah, pole go. dancing. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, I want to go back to the pole dancing. Just, yeah. just real quick. Yeah, earlier yeah. on the second pole dancing, uh, John Canzano, this question is for you. Yeah. Uh, since you've seen this, would I fit in perfectly with the pole dancing with the uh, ability to take my shirt off as fast as I can? Uh, yeah, I think it would work. But again, this it's, was not about eroticism. This was about athleticism. That's yeah. the difference. They were what athletes. They were. They you've seen were. It, it's athletic. Just to prove that they were athletes, they picked me up. Do you remember that? And they did like an, a military press. Of putting me in the air. Like, so at some point, are we going to do like an anniversary reunion show? <laughs> are we going to get Cadillac in? Are we going to get yeah. Chop in? Are we going to get the band back and just we'll, reminisce and tell we'll stories? We'll get the pole dancers, uh, you know, uh, bless his soul, Ernest Ernie passed away. Yes. Ernie Azzolino. Yeah. He's had a lot of characters over the years that have I still come tell and gone. Jerry Glanville yeah. stories sometimes. Yeah. It's, yeah. We, there was, it, I, I think this show, part of the beauty is I wasn't a radio person. That is accurate. I'm probably still not no. a radio person. I just kind of do. But that's what makes it good. The show that I want to do, and I don't listen to other radio shows because I don't want to copy what everybody else is doing. You know. I would agree, and it's it, you know in the same way as I was never really built for this, but I was hopefully able to provide something to what you were doing, and I do think it's why I enjoy listening because yeah. I also I don't love sports talk. I love the games. Yeah. I don't necessarily love, always love the talk, but I always, because you have a, A, you have a skewed perspective on things anyway. Right, yeah. But B, because naturally. you're willing to have different types of conversations, yours is, yours is the show, yeah, that, that, you know, when I have control of the radio and we're not listening to the Sing 2 soundtrack for the eight bajillion time, <laughs> we'll flip to. Leave it here. The 5 at 5 is coming up, and it's going to be a little different today as Strong is going to try to hijack it. Yeah. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. 
Once a year, John Strong has uh, agreed that he will come in studio. <laughs> and what Who was, do I invoice, by the way? What was supposed to be about a half-hour interview has now turned into an hour and a half. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I'm enjoying it. If you've missed it, grab the podcast wherever you get a podcast. All right, we're going to do the five at five. This is how it works. All right. Okay, these are the five most important stories to you and me. Okay. Okay? Right. So that's all that matters. Okay. So you need to pick two stories that matter to you that you think are pretty big Gee, deal. if only there was anything interesting going on in American <laughs> soccer today that I could I know. bring out. And do you remember we uh, – I'm going to get distracted again. Do you remember we Is this used... the bullhorn? You would let me talk for ten seconds about soccer and you hit a giant, like, air yeah. horn at me? We used to allow you to do, like, a oh, little, no. you know, soccer for dummies. In fact, I have the benchmark. The BFT brings you – Donovan is gone! Soccer for Dummies. And then the whole idea. It's a very 2010 vibe, though. Yeah, but the whole idea was then you would tell us something cool about soccer, and I'd let you get about. You would, you would trick me. It was very mean. You'd it was let me mean. start, and then you'd just. <laughs> it was kind of mean. Yeah. That's okay. Can I say I'm sorry for doing that to you? Is it going to be okay? Hey, man, I got you to watch the World Cup. I, I it worked wish, out in the end. I wish you were all here because you could see that there generally is hurt on John Strong's <laughs> face, as he said. I will say this. It is one of the satisfying, all of the, you know, screaming into the wilderness on this station to try to talk soccer, whether it was you or text messengers or yeah. whatever, just the vitriol that would fly back at me. That yeah. I've had the last laugh. That I've just called a record-breaking yeah. Yeah. World Cup you on win. television. So you win. You're welcome, everyone. And you know what? Now I know why you don't look on Twitter because he <laughs> genuinely looked hurt. I saw enough from uh, yeah, the old days. I have the scars. Don't worry. <laughs> so, I'm pretty resilient now. What we would say is I'd be like, explain offsides to us, and then you. Well, John. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back to the Blazers. There you have it. Uh, hey, can you help me with one little soccer thing before we do the five at five? This stoppage time stuff. This stoppage time thing. This thing. Why not have a real clock? You know, Brian Wheeler, former yeah. Blazers radio yeah. guy, that's the number. He'll, once every couple of years he'll text me, great game, loved it. I still don't like stoppage time. It comes from a day in the 19th century when it was literally like a stopwatch. They couldn't just stop it and restart it. Right. So it does, I, I get it. it. It is the equivalent of stopping the clock endlessly. You just add the time on to the end, and it yeah. becomes – however, in saying that, I love because there is a dramatic element to it. As much as there's a dramatic element to the final seconds ticking off a clock, the fact that only the referee knows for sure, yeah. and it's kind of – it's a bit of a nuance. It's a bit of a secret. Because generally, you're kind of – minimum nine minutes, but I'm going to feel this out. I – I actually love that part of it. I've learned oh. to embrace it. But it is one of those things that as we come into a World Cup, we have to remind ourselves that not everyone is a nerd like us that lives this all the time, and there are elements of soccer. Yeah. You know, people. most people kind of get football. Most people kind of get basketball. Right. But if you haven't grown up around soccer, there are those types of things where we have to be reminded in a World Cup of, like, we have to kind of explain some of this because it is very unique and different. We're going to do the 5 at 5 now. I keep being told. As promised. Let's do it. The 5 at 5. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz of Wilsonville. See more than 4,000 vehicles at Swickert.com. I'm going to start with DeMar Hamlin. I think it's the biggest story. Bill's safety remains hospitalized in critical condition. Apparently, he's shown some signs of improvement. And a family friend and business partner, Jordan Rooney, told ESPN uh, early today that Hamlin is still sedated, uh, but 
in, the doctors have seen some promising readings overnight. This is all we need, right? We need to see progress. Uh, everybody hoping, praying that Hamlin will come out of this okay. In the meantime, still that initial fundraiser that had set a goal of $2,500, that toy drive that Hamlin started, it grew to $3 million within 12 hours. It's over $6 million now. I still think there's a lot of good that's going on amid a very scary and potentially tragic incident on Monday Night Football. Again, Damar Hamlin in critical condition, remains sedated, but doctors seeing some signs of improvement. This is a good thing, right, Strong? Good thing? It, it, it is a wonderful thing. I think it's a reminder. We talk oftentimes in sports in terms of life and death. We talk about heroes. This is real life and death, but also real heroes. And, and the paramedics, the athletic training staff, everyone that was involved in the immediate care of him deserves a, a ton of credit and praise. And it's a reminder, having AEDs, knowing CPR, these things matter. It doesn't always happen in front of an NFL stadium. Sometimes it's a high school gym. And being able to have that life-saving medical care in those immediate moments is so crucial. Number two, John Strong, go. So it turns out that the coach of the U.S. soccer team, Greg Berhalter, having told one of his star players, Gio Reyna, is not going to play much, Gio Reyna's parents uh, then it threatened Greg Berhalter to release information. They then released this story about a domestic violence incident that occurred when Greg Berhalter and his now wife of 25 years were 18 years old. Oh, by the way, the parents of the player in question, lifelong friends of Greg Berhalter and his wife, former captain of the U.S. team, Man. Claudia Reyna. This is as, it would take me 20 minutes to explain the story in full. It is as Shakespearean and Greek tragedy as you can get that is playing out in real time right now with this U.S. soccer team. But again, head coach of the team, blackmailed by yeah. former captain and lifelong best friend of the team, upset that said former captain and best friend's son was not playing more in the tournament. This is stuff Kevin Love's dad tried to get Mark Schaff, head coach at yeah, Lake Oswego High right? School, fired because he wasn't playing the other Love's son. Right. But at the World Cup. Okay. But isn't this also sort of like, um, you know, as when you look at these incidents, like this is like, Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan stuff, like world stage, and you have a whole lot of, uh, you know, dirty conflict. dealings, dirty dealings going on. And it's only, there is more to come. You're going to make a movie about this. Probably. It'll be a great 30 for 30. No, number three in the five at five. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, former Oregon Duck, had a sack on Sunday. Nick Foles was the sacked quarterback. Kayvon Thibodeau performed a... Snow Angel on the field, just a couple feet away from Foles, who left the field on a cart. Uh, meanwhile, Jeff Saturday, the coach of the Colts, called him classless, him being Kayvon Thibodeau. Here's Thibodeau's response when told by reporters. Who, that's what I'm saying. Who's the gatekeeper of when to do something? So once we figure out who the gatekeeper is, then we can write the rules and then we can establish, you know, the narratives and things like that. But until, you know, you guys actually are in the sport and do it and be in that moment you can't create a narrative on it you know well we're not creating a narrative on it the guy the other team's coach had a problem with it. he's the guy who played the game the other team's I, don't, players I don't know who he is no i just don't know who like anybody who comments on it unless i know who they are doesn't really affect me that's it jeff saturday's a six-time pro bowler he's the interim coach of the colts gave on um do you agree with Kayvon Thibodeau? I, i'm full <laughs> team Thibodeau on this i i first of all i'm wildly entertained by this Listen, it's it's an unfortunate, but you you sack a guy, you go to you're not 
turn, how would he know? Because he's not looking at the quarterback when he goes to celebrate. Had he known that yeah. Foles was hurt, he wouldn't have done it. He said as much. He's going as he doesn't know. The thing that, A, who's Jeff Saturday, cracks me up. Yeah. But as Saturday himself said the other day, he's also a little frustrated. Where are my guys? Where's my yeah. life? If we're really if we're really that upset, no one's stepping up to Thibodeau to let him know. But how is the guy supposed to know that he's down hurt? Yeah, I don't know, but he did a whole little uh, let's go to sleep. Yeah, no. You know, I put you we, to sleep. We get upset when athletes are yeah. boring and when they stick to talking points, and then we get upset when they show uh, But how about Kayvon Thibodeau saying, hey, unless you're in my circle and I know you, your criticism isn't valid. valid. Didn't we just spend the whole last hour nah, saying the same thing? I disagree. I think, he's, I think that he needed to be more aware of what is going on around him. And I won't be surprised. By the way, he's 92nd in the NFL in sacks. Let's not pretend like he's Lawrence Taylor. So let him celebrate the one he gets. All right, John Scott. <laughs> Go ahead. Number, All right. What are we on? Four. Four. Go. Cristiano Ronaldo, perhaps you've heard of him, is now making more than half a million dollars a week playing in Saudi Arabia for a team Ooh. that has crashed their own website with the amount of followers. It's This is a fascinating thing. You have this long duopoly, this great rivalry. This is Larry Bird and Magic Johnson but soccer in the modern era, that Lionel Messi wins the World Cup, rides off into the Sunset internationally, returns to his club in Paris, one of the biggest clubs in the world. His great longtime rival, Cristiano Ronaldo, finds himself on the bench as his team goes out in the quarterfinal and is now playing in Saudi Arabia, but is spotted as, this is the best contract anyone's ever signed. I'm the highest paid player of all time. But it is hardly the way that we ever thought that rivalry would end. Is this going to be like golf, where a lot of the other golfers are looking over at the live golfers who went over to the Saudi back tour and said they're sellouts? Or is soccer different? Do they? It's just money. No, no, no. Yeah. And we've seen this before. We saw players go to China for a time when there was a lot of money being invested there. There's been an accusation in the past that MLS is retirement league. It's definitely not anymore. Uh, ultimately, like live golf, the question becomes. Do you feel the same amount of glory that you are competing and winning against the best of the very best? Will players feel that in Saudi Arabia in the same way will players feel that at Live Golf? Or will there always be a pull towards whether it's the Masters, which is allowing the Live Golf players in, that there's a feeling that I want to really feel like I'm testing myself in the biggest way as compared to the guaranteed money at a lesser level? I, I touched on this earlier in the show. Number five in the five at five. I'm going to talk about Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp. They had uh, an ugly exchange this morning on their show on FS1. Uh, you know, Shannon Sharp was trying to give uh, a monologue. Skip Bayless interrupted him. This is all stems from Bayless tweeting on Monday Night Football uh, about the incident, wondering where the NFL or how could the NFL reschedule the game. Um, Shannon Sharp, Skip Bayless at odds. Is this just good theater? John Strong, good theater, television, entertainment. I, I can't. Uh, are we having technical problems? I can't hear. <laughs> no, you're Fox guy. It's, it's all of a sudden cut out here. I, right. I'm sorry. Let's I can't talk hear. in general terms. General terms about the industry. Whether it's Dick Vitale. <laughs> I heard you say that on the. Yeah. Diaper Dandy or Stephen A. Smith, Dan Patrick, Jim Rome, even this show. Where is the line with, uh, you know, being yourself on air? versus maybe uh, trying to be entertaining. I think the best to do it are the ones that it is an amplified version of themselves. Um, Alexi Lawless is a great example. He is who he is on the air, but it's an amplified version because yeah. there is an entertainment performance aspect. But I think the ones that are the best and the most successful, I am, you know, I don't talk to my kids the way I talk in, in a broadcast, but I am essentially the same person on air. So... Mm -hmm. Those are the people, I think, that have the most success, or the ones that are who they are. Um, I will also say this, that I'm a big proponent of 
off-air chemistry brings on-air quality. Mm. And you can fake your way for a long time. Plenty of great baseball announcer duos have despised each other off the air. Yeah. You can get through that for a long while. At a certain point, you do have to get along with your coworkers for it to be successful long-term. I'm a big believer in that. Uh, when your kids are kicking a soccer ball around the house and you're pretending to be the goalkeeper, let's say Stella or Jacob score a goal, do you go into John Strong and give him a play-by-play call? Uh, I was calling offside yesterday when we, we played a pickup game, uh, parents versus adults, with some friends of ours up at the, the middle school here. Yeah. Um, to a certain extent, it'll, it'll be one of the most fascinating things. Our son is going to dip his toe into competitive soccer, and you've got me as an announcer and, of course, my wife as a high-level player and coach. Yeah. I don't know if that's good or bad to come from that sort of background, but I'm fascinated to see what he does. Uh, that is the five at five, the five biggest stories going on. Uh, before I cut you loose, and Do I, I get a leave I've now? Ke- I've kept all you right. long enough. Oh, all right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. You, um, so much of your life is soccer. Yeah. You marry a Pac-12 soccer player. Pac-10. It was it was that long. All Pac-10. WPSL Golden Boot winner. Copa Libertadores 2009. I could she gets so embarrassed and I love it when I brag about her. Same way as she does for me. But it works because she knows the game. It helps a ton. I have a lot of call. Surprising amount of professional players in particular. I think by design, even if they don't realize it in the moment, marry women who have zero interest in the game. Because I think for a lot of players, it's like dentistry. Do dentists go home at the end of the night and talk about teeth? Or do they want to just completely cut off? This is a bit of a different mindset, I think, when you work in sports. The ones that I have worked with, the people that are most successful, we live and breathe at 24-7. So to have a significant other, to have a wife, who loves the game but also kind of gets it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you're gone for five weeks, but it's the World Cup. Of course, absolutely. It can have that level of support and understanding um, has meant the world. And, and it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember um, a sequence where she was on the field as a player, and is it Marta? Is that, yes. Is it, and she was defending her. At the Copa Libertadores, yeah. and Marta, a five-time, six-time world player of the year. Mm. Um, all the other players in the team that Nicole was on were just standing back in awe. And Nicole was like, nope. We're not going to do this. And That's just not a cool style. Knocked her down, took yeah. a yellow card, was like, hey, <laughs> let's go, let's play. Score one of the best goals of her career that night. I love that. Badge of honor. Uh, all right, before I let you go again, Stephen, Peter, <laughs> any questions for John Strong? We've held him here. He's probably late. You're late for an appointment? No, I'm just <laughs> waiting for the text from my bosses being like, call us, please. <laughs> questions for John Strong? Uh, yeah, I'm just going to ask, can I get your number off the air so I can complain about John Canzano to you uh, when he bothers me? That's yeah, funny. I'll, that was I'll, mine, I'll too. Start a, I'll, I'll start a uh, bald-faced truth producer mm-hmm. support line. for. I, I've compared it to Spinal Tap drummers in the past of the <laughs> yeah. revolving door of us that have existed. <laughs> I was smart enough to quit before I got fired. <laughs> And just put someone else in that role, but it's yeah, it's, it's and and you guys aren't even in the same room. I he, he would yell at me in person. You guys at least I made you better. Okay, so that's sure. the, that's the advice. Quit before I get fired. Got Pretty it. much, and All just right, know perfect. how to know how to press the button so he he can stop. Yeah, I don't have any questions, but it's been a couple years since I've seen you. Glad you're doing well, John. We're proud bit. of you. Do you still hold the Christmas party, or are we not invited anymore? No, we haven't. We, it we had a pandemic. We did. Okay. Oh, okay. And then after the pandemic, you know, it's like I'm you slow. You became antisocial? <laughs> I'm slow getting back to the Christmas party. We did not have a party. Okay. The, but you'll get invited. All right. Okay, as will Stephen and Peter, and then listeners are going to be pissed at me, too, going, hey, come, where's my invitation? Sell tickets. We'll just have, we'll just have a whole party. It's a party. fundraiser. You'll be Let, good. Let's do it. Leave it here. John Strong, thank you. Good Thanks to see you, for buddy. coming in studio. Leave it here. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
I really enjoyed that interview. I hope you did as well. If you missed any of it, grab a podcast. John Strong, uh, Fox broadcaster, Fox Sports lead soccer play-by-play announcer, voice of American soccer, as I call him, I always will. Uh, It was fantastic there talking about uh, sports and life and broadcasting and so many things. And, like, look, if we're going to do a reunion show, um, you know, this show goes back to, I've written it down now, Labor Day 2007 was the inception of this show in its current form. But the show existed in a different form before that. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys know this, Peter and Stephen, but, you know, before the sports station was launched in 2007 in Portland, the game, uh, you know, and it coincided with the Blazers getting the number one overall pick. That's why uh, what was a hip-hop station was flipped into a sports format. Uh, before that, uh, I was put on KXL, our sister station, the news station, and I was doing a sports show from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. in the evenings, and the lead-in for the show was Michael Savage, and which uh, followed the Lars Larson show. And so what I didn't know at the time is the people who were running the station – had uh, created that little block of time for me because they wanted me to get reps. They wanted me to get some practice because I wasn't and still profess, and I don't mean this as a slap on on the radio world, I just wasn't a traditional radio person. That's not where my my background was in in sports media and broadcasting. I was a a print reporter. I was a, a sports columnist. I was an investigative reporter. I had come up through six newspapers and been guests on other shows, and in fact, started doing a weekly appearance on another station in Portland, and then it grew into an hour. And then, uh, of course, uh, the people who were then with Rose City Radio, which was the precursor to Alpha Media, said, hey, we want to put you on, uh, and we're going to put you on KXL at nights, 6 to 8 p.m. And I thought, nobody's listening. But that was the point. Nobody had to be listening. They didn't necessarily want people to hear me they just wanted me to get better because what happens when you get reps you get you you know supposedly you improve and you get better and you get more com- comfortable and i learned a lot of things in doing those 2 hour shows on that political station but the the phone calls were hilarious because we would get callers who were calling in in response to the political shows who wanted to ask a bunch of questions about politics and whatever else they would call in and then uh, we suddenly ended up on a sports radio station uh, as 750 The Game was born in Labor Day of 2007. And that's why I always laugh because I'll get these anniversary announcements from the station and they don't match up with the true anniversary of the show, which if you want to talk about this show in its present format, it would have been September of 2007. But really, the show um, went back a couple of years before that as I was getting reps on the political station. But I had a lot of fun doing that interview. Big trip down memory lane with John Strong. Um, really proud to call him a friend. I was the best man at their wedding, Nicole and John's wedding. And it, it's just been a lot of fun to see him blossom as a broadcaster. Story we didn't tell was, you know, you know the scene in Goodwill Hunting where Ben Affleck goes in to negotiate on behalf of Matt Damon's character and, you know, he wears the blue suit, and he gets to the, you know, he's he's woefully unprepared to be negotiating a, a deal or a contract for, for his friend. Um, I ended up as John Strong's first agent. And when the Portland Timbers wanted to hire him to broadcast games, it was me who sat down 
with the Timbers Brass and said, you know, here's what uh, John Strong, who was in no position to be negotiating, had no leverage. Here's what he needs in the deal. And uh, what I ended up getting him, and I don't know if he even remembers this, is we ended up negotiating about, I think it was two or four season tickets that he got along with his salary. And they basically told me to get get out of the offices because they were basically giving a guy who had a lot of college play-by-play and high school play-by-play experience and some experience, uh, you know, calling, uh, you know, soccer matches. They're giving him the keys to their MLS enterprise and that's why strong says that i almost ended his career before it started because mls commissioner don garber came on this show and was doing an interview with me and i was pressing him because that's kind of like you know that's my job to ask some hard questions but don garber was asking you know i was asking don garber what what is a uh, what is an mls franchise going to do for the city of portland and don garber kept talking around the question, not really answering my question, and I warned him that I was going to hang up on him, and then I asked him the question again, and he didn't answer it fairly or in a, in a way that I liked, and I hung up on Dodd Garber, the commissioner of Major League Soccer. I just hung up on him. And I uh, remember Strong going off to uh, the Timbers match that evening, and Merritt Paulson, owner of the Timbers, was there. You know, he's trying to trying to get you know, the, the blessing that this would now become an MLS franchise. And I and I remember, you know, people going, man, that was really bad that you did that. I later told Don Garber, and we laughed about it, that, you know, all I wanted was a straight answer, and he didn't give me a straight answer. But if you talk about the annals of this radio show, that is one of the memories that I will always have. He, he brought up Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly and I had an epic argument. Uh, I think it was circa 2009. Chip Kelly had was just uh, you know coach of the of the Ducks and it had some discipline problems in the off season. He had a couple of players that were in trouble legally, and he uh, had declined to suspend the players. And I said you have to suspend the players. And I wrote about it saying he needs to suspend the players. And I went on radio saying he has to suspend the players. And then I went on outside the lines on ESPN and said that Chip Kelly needs to suspend these guys. Well, we came in to do the radio show that day, and we were on an afternoon drive at 3 o'clock, but we only had a half-hour show because it was going to go from 3 to 3.30, and then the Blazers, who were on an East Coast road trip, were going to preempt the rest of the show. It was We were the Blazers' flagship station at the time. And I'll never forget this. It was 3 o'clock. All of a sudden, Chip Kelly's on line four, and he wants to – I'm like, that is the real Chip Kelly? He's on the phone? Yeah. Well, Chip Kelly came on, and we argued about whether or not he should suspend the players. It happened to be the offseason. Chip's argument was, if I suspend the players pending the outcome of the investigation, there's really no penalty because they're not, uh, they're not losing anything. It's not like they're missing a game. But my contention was, you have to suspend, and part of it is you're just setting a protocol that if you are arrested or you're in trouble with the law, you're going to be suspended in Chip Kelly's program. Well, we argued back and forth about it, and Chip Kelly dug in, and I dug in, and by the end of the interview, you know, I said, hey, look, Chip, you know, when, when I was a kid, my parents, uh, they would have grounded me for if I got arrested. And Chip Kelly said, well, maybe your parents didn't believe in you, and that's how we ended the show. Well, I'll never forget walking out to the parking lot thinking, gosh, that was kind of a cheap shot that Chip Kelly took. Like, you know, really to say that on air, like to, in an argument, like really, that's a head coach 
of a major college football program. All of a sudden, my phone rang in the parking lot. It was Chip Kelly. And he said, hey, I just want to tell you I'm sorry that I said that. And yeah, I told him, you know, hey, I really appreciate that you called on that because it's not personal. It never is. And Chip and I had disagreements. We had disagreements over the Willie Lyles thing. We had disagreements over handling a discipline. Hell, sometimes I would criticize the way his teams played because my expectations for the Ducks was, hey, they're playing for a national championship, not, not, not anything less than that. So they get held to a different standard because of that. And I think, you know, what I really appreciated about him over the years, and even to this day, is that if he disagreed with something, we could have a good professional disagreement about it, and it really wasn't personal. It never really is personal unless somebody makes it personal. And, you know, I've had pe sources over the years who just didn't understand that, but as I have told Mario Cristobal or Dan Lanning or Jonathan Smith or even Mike Riley – uh, or, you know, Blazers coaches like Nate McMillan or Maurice Cheeks over the years. I said, listen, if I criticize you and you think I'm out in left field, call me and yell at me and let's argue about it. I would rather have that than have us end up in a position where we aren't talking, where you think it's personal and you think I'm singling you out and whatnot. And I think by and large, that's one of the things that I'm most proud about with this show is that even though I hung up on Don Garber, the commissioner of Major League Soccer, we can talk about it afterwards. Or Chip Kelly, even to this day, have conversations or texts with Chip Kelly, even though we've had multiple disagreements and arguments over time. And I, and I really feel like that two-way street, it has to happen. And this radio show is part of it, because part of that argument happens on air in front of you. You play party to it. Leave it here. you got the bald-faced truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up, top of the hour, Peter Sampson and the Pulse. Peter, what do you got cooking? Uh, yeah, we got to ask what's up with uh, the big scoring outburst in the NBA over the last couple of weeks. Uh, if you play Madden, you're probably upset right now. You know that massive video game franchise. There's a, a game-breaking bug in that. And I have a story to tell last night. I got to tell you why I had to leave my car downtown overnight after the show last night. It was a disaster. Oh, I need to hear this. Stick around, top of the hour, as Peter Sampson and the Pulse are coming up. Um, you guys know that I like to get out and see movies and offer ratings I'm going to see Avatar The Way of Water. Mm. I'm going to invest three hours and 12 minutes in this thing. Um, have you guys seen this yet? I have not. The previews look good, but you, no. Yeah, previews look good. It, i got to be honest. It wasn't – like sometimes a movie comes out and I go, I need to go see this movie. Like I need – you know, right right away this needs to be – like Shawshank Redemption has a has a sequel. I'm there. Like I'm lined up the first night it's it comes out. But – Avatar, the first Avatar, I remember coming away from it going, hey, that's really cool, that's great special effects, but I didn't walk away thinking like this was one of the greatest movies of all time, and so now Avatar The Way of Water is coming out, and, you know, everybody's going crazy for this movie, but I feel like I have a duty to get out and see this movie because I want to save other people from making a mistake, so I'm going to invest three hours and 12 minutes and uh, go check this out and see what's happening with this movie. Steven, have you seen this movie? Uh, no, have not seen it. Have not seen the first Avatar. Uh, I don't plan on seeing either. I'm, maybe I'm missing out, but uh, again, like th that type of genre movie just doesn't get me. Like I don't, I don't get it. So uh, I'm out. 
give me an idea, like that genre movie. You mean like I mean, the big like blockbuster fantasy? Mm. Is not what it is. Like a fantasy type yeah. movie, yeah. science fiction, yeah. whatever. I don't know that type of stuff. That I just don't get it. All right, you like cartoons? You like kids' movies? I mean, not. He's just... watching SpongeBob right yeah, now. Right now, I got okay. SpongeBob. No, I mean they're, right. they're fine, I guess. <laughs> Puss in Boots. Yes. Yeah, my, really, they, my really kids good. saw that in the theater without me. I think I was working or something, and they saw it uh, during Christmas break. They said it was awesome. So It's a yeah. fantastic movie, and adults will enjoy it as well. It's got some humor in it. Have you seen Puss in Boots, Peter? I haven't seen it, but I loved right. his appearances back in Trek. I'm excited to see that. Yeah, it's uh, it's good. It's really good. I'm going to – look, I have a scale 1 to 100. I'm going to rate Puss in Boots on a kid's scale because it's a kid's movie. It's a 91 out of 100. It's a good movie. You should see it in a theater. Anything over an 80 – is a movie that you should see uh, in the theater. Um, other movies, Ticket to Paradise, I already rated this one. That's George Clooney and Julia Roberts. Um, I, I, I gave it a 57 on my 1 to 100 scale, and this is what I'm talking about. I'm going to save you money. Don't go see Ticket to Paradise. Unless you're, like, wild about George Clooney or Julia Roberts, don't go see it. The, so, you know, I, I need to get out and see more movies. We used to see them all, but I've been kind of busy. Do you so remember we, what the worst rated movie you've ever had? Uh, I could probably compile a list of those because there's some in the 30s Ooh. that I, I what 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 the movies that I don't like are kind of like the romantic comedies of the modern era that really don't have a point and it seems like it's the same movie over and over again the same you know you know the same people like that are in in the movie over and over again so I I would hesitate to single out one movie without thinking about it further yeah. but. I if look because a romantic comedy can be really good. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. If it's done right, right, but there's a lot that get put out that you just think, hey, they're just it's a it's a boilerplate movie, and they know that you know a bunch of people will go see it, and it'll make more than it costs to make, and that's not the movie I'm interested in seeing. So we'll have to get Mike Rich, the screenwriter uh, of Finding Forrester and Secretariat, and we'll get him on the show to talk about movie making. All right, let's keep it here for Peter Sampson and the Pulse. He's got a terrific show coming up. I got to know why his car was left downtown last night. What did he do? Was it a bender after work, or what? did the car get broken into? I got to stay tuned and find out what happened to that car. The Bald Face Truth not here for a long time, just a good time.